2: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and there's a couple of other Jonos across the table for us. <laughs> it's Panos and Luke from Life With Your Dog podcast.
0: Morning, boys. Thanks for having us, brothers. A Thank you for inviting us. A of sweaty us. men. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Randy yeah. Guest? Yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah, you can be Randy Guest. He's got his short shorts yeah. on, right? I do, Go. yeah, sorry. Hey, isn't
3: this <laughs> awesome that we've been in a lockdown over about a year and a bit with covid You know, like, and struggling to actually be able to get into rooms together to do things. And now we're finally here where we can be in a room together. I know I don't want other people in other countries to trigger them because they're still dealing with a shit fest of COVID breakouts and so forth. But it is fortunate in Australia that all the turmoil that we had to go through, that we can actually now come together and sit in a room and be together rather than do this on Zoom. It's yeah. very cool. It. What's yeah. our current stats? I think we are no nothing, cases. Nothing. Yeah. We haven't had anything for about three or four weeks now. Yeah. They say that they're finding COVID particles in sewage in certain locations, but nobody Just don't is.
2: drink the sewage. That's right.
3: Yeah. 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 Awesome. you would be yeah. right. Easy. I hope there's no dolphins in there either.
0: <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Assassins of the sea. Well, they did molester you, right, sir? Yeah. You have that right. <laughs> well, he got fucked. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, just for anybody who doesn't know, because me and Glenn
0: have both been on your show, and Pinucci, yep. you've been on the show before. Yeah, back in the day, I think episode four or something, right? Or yeah, something no, like episode that. four was the box. Yeah, okay, so it was like six or something. Back in the day. It was back. It was early back in days. The day, yeah Single digits, I'd say it was, I think. Yeah, I, Maybe. Maybe seven or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you're one of our
3: first guests, yeah, I think. very yeah. honoured. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Actually, it was an interesting story for me because I've known you for a long time. Yeah, and then 10 you years come now. Out, Yeah, and then you come out and start telling stories about being stabbed and everything. I'm yeah. thinking, what?
0: Who is this man? Yeah. Well, put us on a journey for sure, you know, and even though it was the worst thing that happened to me, the best thing, because it opened up a whole new world for me mm. in so many ways. So, yeah, and here we are. Well, I do say that sometimes, you know, like we look back on things in life and
3: think, why did that happen? But would you be the person- You are today if you didn't go through that trial or that adversity. No, exactly. So the audience, if they've ever, if they can go back three years, there's
2: there's there's some intro into you. Hey, Luke, tell us a little bit about yourself and how is it that you're sitting opposite us
1: here? That's a good question. There's a bit of a story, and I was thinking about it obviously in the lead up to doing this podcast. So four years ago, I blew my back out doing crossfit. <laughs> and this is how the story starts. What were you
0: doing? What
1: specifically what exercise were you doing? Back squat. Back squats, yeah. Blew my L5 disc. Yeah. Nice. Couldn't couldn't walk for 6 weeks. Could not <laughs> wow. Could not wow. even lie in my bed. I slept on the floor for about a week. How much weight did you have on? Fuck all. Yeah. It was like a, You're warm, up. Was a warm up. Just doing a warm up. No, no, I, I wasn't actually back I wasn't. I wasn't. And then and, and yeah, you know, crossfit earns its reputation definitely. But I think the injury had been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I blew it out and couldn't work, couldn't walk, couldn't do fucking anything for a while. I'd never really heard of a podcast back then. And then I started listening to them and started listening more and more. I'm going to like Jordan Peterson, like Joe Rogan and all this stuff. And you just go down this rabbit hole podcast, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then at the time, this is a bit of a, this is how it happened, but it's a bit of a sidetrack. My mum had been teaching yoga for like 10, 15 years. And she used to tell me like, random stories about her clients like nothing too personal but stories that they happy for heard to share and whatever and I was like damn these guys have got some pretty interesting stories right I was like maybe we could do a podcast would you think some of those people would be interested in sharing their stories you know these are people who have like ms or have had like really hard time like falling pregnant stuff like that just like human stories you know mm-hmm. and we did a little bit of a podcast maybe i don't know how many episodes we did it didn't really go anywhere we probably did like 20 episodes or something like that. And one of them was Panos. Panos came on. He had trained and helped recuperate, I guess, fix the behavior in our rescue dog, Chloe, little Maltese Pomeranian. And he came on and then like two weeks after that, or maybe a week after that, he's like, hey, bro, he's texting me. He's like, oh, I've been thinking about starting my own podcast for ages. And he's like, can I rent your studio? Because I'd set up like a bit of a thing at our, at our house with like soundproofing and stuff at my place. And I was like, you could do that, but why don't we just do it together? I was like, what, you know, what's it going to be like 50 bucks here and there? Like, I'd rather yep. just, why don't we just do it together? Uh-huh. And then I went down the rabbit hole of dogs mm. and uh, two years I later, converted him. two years later, here I am sitting in your studio. Very lucky to be a guest on your podcast. So it's amazing what can change in two years. Yep. And I'm finishing up my NDTF now as well. I met Glenn, I met you. So quite a journey. I'm very thankful to be here today. And so you've got your own
2: sort of little dog business going now Just and that's started kind of a recently. side hustle. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not my main It's way to do I've it. I've got a full-time job. It's a jobby. The dog thing is a jobby, right? Yeah, now. that's it. the way to do it, man. Plug it, mate. What's the uh, name? It's called Kizuna Canine. So I used to live in Japan. I speak Japanese fluently. Really? Well, another story. Yeah.
3: That's a, that's a pretty
1: good yeah, story. Another. St- <laughs> I've done it all. Hmm. And um, so Kizuna means the bonds between living creatures. So I was mm. like, I'm going to do something different. It's like an alliteration curse sound, so I was like, sweet, I'll call it that. Cool. So, yeah, based down in uh, – I'm in Mortdale, so
3: around the St. George and Sutherland Shire areas mm. of Sydney. I still have a story of you where you just came appearing at my door late one night <laughs> on, the, on the NDTF course. we we tell that story? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> you tell so it. So, <laughs> Neryl and I are sitting inside. We're just eating dinner. Like, it's about 7 o'clock at night. Everyone's gone home. The place is dark, and I hear knock, 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 knock on the door. I'm thinking – Who knocks at my fucking door at seven o'clock at night? Angry positive only trainers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) They knock at the back door. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) I've walked up to the the door. I've gone, hello. And he goes, "Uh, hey, mate, it's Luke. I was going, yeah, mate, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, my car broke down. He was sitting in his car in freezing cold winter weather for about, what, two hours? Nah, it was like, it mm, it was an hour but when I Come realized. On, I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Trying to draw. From <laughs>
1: okay, okay.
2: <laughs> Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. It was a long
1: time and it was getting dark and I was you like, blew oh, it. This is getting bad. And the car wouldn't start. The NRMA was like fucking an hour and a half away. And I was like, This is bad. And like, I need to use the bathroom and maybe like not die out here in the freezing cold. It was getting pretty cold out there. Like, it's definitely colder up here than it is down in the city. Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah we're yeah. in mountain.
3: Yeah. Well, we're in. Different weather pattern, era. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had to bring him in, cuddle him, put a little blanket. Lorel served me some lovely soup, yeah. so you know, we had to warm him up, pack <laughs> yeah. him in. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he was so crying; that. he was very upset. So quite, <laughs> quite <yeah>. shivering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> mm.
1: roll me on my back, scratch my belly. Yeah,
3: all the good stuff. Yeah, all right, settle down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that's good. We've all got history together, and you know, we've come together for a common love of dogs. So, Panos, you had something you want to talk about.
0: Yeah, look, um, one thing that we haven't spoken much about in depth on our podcast is aggression, and I wanted to save it for speaking to you boys, considering that a lot of the people that listen to our show, obviously there are dog trainers, but a lot of the people are just common everyday dog owners. Yep. And I have to be mindful about talking about aggression because I don't want to be too specific because it's in a you know it's a very serious, dangerous thing to be dealing with and to be giving the wrong advice, maybe doing a disservice, but also giving some advice should be good as well. Mm. I always have the thought and anyone who asks me, I, sh- I always tell them, get a reputable trainer that lives close to you so you can get some very specific help. But I think it'll be cool, you know, since you guys have had lots of experience and we should discuss, you know, some common things and maybe first steps of what a common person should work with if they find their dog is aggressive to other dogs or to other people. Here's a
2: question for you, bro, because I know your business, you're very busy. You're booked out long in advance and yep. you just do in-home behavior mod, mm-hmm. right? Yep. What percentage of the calls
0: you get are for someone with an aggressive dog? Out of ten, I'd say maybe three. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Heaps. Yeah. And look, and when we say aggression, true aggression, maybe like one, but still very intense um, reactivity. Yeah. And reactivity can result in someone getting bitten. Yeah. Right. And I guess that would still be classified as aggression. What do you classify as true aggression when you use that term? What's true aggression? True aggression is when the dog is 100% going to bite somebody or bite Mm -hmm. another dog. You put them close up in any situation, off the lead, on the lead, behind a fence, in any particular situation where a lot of the times people will describe reactivity Mm -hmm. as aggression, but then when the dogs come close, then nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And then there are situations where dogs have bitten, but then they don't always bite other dogs, for example, or other people. And I think aggression can be misdiagnosed when people are seeing it. You Absolutely. Know? So people say, oh, my dog's aggressive, and I'm like, oh, we have to do some behavioral issues, and I rock up. I'm like, oh, the dog's just frustrated and doesn't know what to do. Mm. You need to be more clear about what it is that the criteria is that you want your dog to do. I went through a spate
3: of consults a while back where people were describing aggression to me, and when I turn up there, it was more predatory behavior. I mean, it's easy to misdiagnose that sort of thing when a dog is chasing after other dogs and trying to bite them, and they would determine that as aggressive behavior. Yep. But, I, I, you know, like I said, it's the unfortunate thing is, It can be conveyed as aggression, but Mm -hmm. it's actually predatory behavior. A dog is actually enjoying chasing down smaller dogs and trying to catch them. You know, and I said, we still have to stop it. We still have to resolve the behavior. But it's a different type of, of mindset than the aggression that you're used to seeing. Exactly.
2: I think one can very easily become the other. Yeah, I yeah. see that a lot in my area. God, I wish I had those numbers, mate. Because when I was doing mostly in-home behavior mod stuff, it would be 8 out of 10 would be an aggression-related mm. case. But I think I was kind of pigeonholed like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the, you know, once you do a good job with a few dogs, they're the referrals that you mm. get, right? Well, that's what Larry Crone was. Yeah, Larry yeah.
3: Crone was uh, in that same sort of-
2: yeah. Uh, so it's kind of frustrating that's one of the reasons I didn't you know I didn't enjoy doing that but anyway the, I think that what I saw a lot of for sure was in my area is a lot of working breeds that have no business living there mm. and and a lot of people then they say I can't even tell you how many times I've heard this where people say, I wanted to get a Kelpie and I didn't want to get one from a puppy farm or anything like that. And I didn't want to, you know, do misjustice to the breed. So I actually went to a farm or I got it from my mate's dad who works them. And I'm like, that's way worse. Because you've, yeah. <laughs> that's a real legit working yep. dog that, yep. you know, very little training goes into that dog probably. Like it's just a, they're relying entirely on genetics for that. And now you've got him in an area where you have, no capability mm-hmm. or intention to let him herd, so of course he starts trying to herd other things, right? Like, it, and he's never seen sheep or except for when he was maybe a baby, right? So, like, you've got him in the city, you go to the dog park. Of course, he starts trying to round up other dogs, mm-hmm. right? And so it starts out as just this herding instinct, and 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 any chase or anything is totally prey related. He's mm-hmm. just moving that around, but then he goes and starts trying to boss around a dog that's not a sheep, mm-hmm. and the dog's like, "Hey, you don't." You don't do that to me. Mm -hmm. So then, of course, he finds out that his spatial pressure is ineffective and he's not able to effectively herd these dogs like he imagines he'll be able to. So he does what a dog would do when it's trying to herd sheep and it's a belligerent sheep that is like, no, I'm not moving. Mm -hmm. He goes and nips it, right? And then the dog goes, hey, I'm not a fucking sheep, mate, Like, and turns into a fight. And now that dog goes like, oh, other dogs want to fight me all the time. Mm -hmm. And all I want to do is move them around. I can't tell you why I want to do that. I have no idea why that's important to me, but I know that it is. I know that I have to get all these dogs that are running around at the dog park here and having a fun time. I need to get them all into a small space. And I don't know why that is, but it's just hardwired into me. That's what mother nature put into me. Yeah, That's what's important to me. And every time I try and do that, they – don't want it to happen and attack me. So it's really important to me that I push them all into a small space. I know that they're likely not going to handle a small amount of pressure from me. So I have to go out here guns blazing. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of aggression from these dogs and now it is aggression. Now it really is. Mm -hmm. The dog comes out there and is like, I'm going to fuck all of you up and you are all going into this small space because that's what is important to me. All my genes tell me I have to do that to Mm -hmm. you. And it really is aggression now, but it started out as just some like innate,
3: predatory or herding instinct that was hardwired into the dog. That's the problem with enough time and enough frustration is that you're going to get a blowout. You know, people talk about this all the time. I mean, I heard, I'm going to mention the Clubhouse app. Don't do it. I'm going to. Uh-oh. I'm going to. I was in a room the other day <laughs> and it was a small group of people and I had somebody that did like a three minute introduction on how they don't use punishment, how they don't use pressure and training, etc., etc. Now I heard their dog barking in the background, they forgot their mic was on, and they go, Hey,
0: quiet, knock it <laughs> off.
3: Yeah, no punishment, In that bro. tone. Yeah. In that tone. That somebody getting frustrated, you know, and having a blowout. They might not be that person all the time, but because they were concentrating on something, mm-hmm. okay, at the time they had a major blowout. And then they came in the room and they had to eat humble pie. Because a few people said, What was that? And they go, <laughs> Oh, well, you know who's like, my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, look, I've seen that, that sort of thing at work, you know, when people are pigeonholed into something and they're getting frustrated about the amount of work that's coming in. I mean, you, sometimes the steam is going to blow out the top pressure cookers only hold so much before they have to let the steam off. Yep. And I'm not saying that's a good reason for doing it. The pressure should have been acknowledged in the first place mm-hmm. and there should have been an outlet way before that blowout happened. And that's what people aren't reading well. They're just not looking into yep. the future of what's going to happen as a result of not addressing that yep. critical point where it's going to occur at some stage. One of my the most annoying things
2: I observe is how good some pet dog owners and handlers are at building power and drive. Absolutely. In the wrong direction. Yeah, Yeah, like by total accident. Building the on switch. You know, I've Mm. seen someone once, you know, their their dog's really aggressive towards another dog. It's going to be a fight. The dog really wants to do it. They're dragging the dog back. It's a hectic sort of, you know, bizarro – it's this overwhelming situation. They're pulling the dog back and the dog gives what, like they're trying to get the dog into the car or out of the park or whatever. And, and in their efforts, they get, they trip over, they get tangled in the leash and at the dog's maximum effort, he pulls free and he goes in and nails <laughs> the other popo. dog. Yeah. Well, and then I'm, you know, I'm doing bite work with someone and I'm like, Hey, here's what I want you to do doing when you to drag him off. And then mm-hmm. they're like, the, their skills are too good. Right. Mm-hmm. So they like just completely manage the dog totally. Mm-hmm. And the dog goes, Oh, I'm never going to break free of this. There's no mm-hmm. point trying. Like you, you've got me like. Yep. And I, I've an experience of you really managing me perfectly. And, and I, I see the way you're holding that leash. I'm never breaking free of that leash. Like mm. that's no point trying. Yep. And, and then you see like, Hey, can we bring in that guy who knows nothing <laughs> and ask him to please drag this yes. dog off? And, and just as the dog thinks, this is my last ditch effort. This is my last attempt to get to the decoy. They put in that big thing and then we, the person falls over and lets go. And like for us as you know, or when I'm training with people that really know what they're doing. You're like, oh man, I wish you'd just fuck that up a little bit, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's how you build all this power. Yeah, And it can be really frustrating when you're trying to explain to people like, hey, you know, this maybe wasn't a very big problem, but this is now a created behavior. Whatever started this was probably real. It certainly had, had to be. There had to be some perception from the dog as to why it was going to be aggressive. And we can talk about that, but you've escalated it. Like you've made it, you've convinced him that the maximum expression of that is what will bring success. Yeah, And so- if I could just give you a malinois every 12 months, I'll, I'll let you raise a puppy for me <laughs> every 12 months. And if you could just do nothing different, like, like just, that cavoodle. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I've regularly said that to people, like, you know, one of the girls in the club, Courtney, has got this little firecracker from the, the litter, and it's probably the best one in the litter. And she said to me the other day, she goes, Oh, what should I be doing with this? I said, Just stop. Whatever you're doing, it's perfect. Don't change anything. Yeah. It's her first working dog. Mm. And she's doing a good job of it, but I was like, I don't, I don't even need to hear it. Whatever you're doing, it's perfect.
1: Do you think that's a thing with people that know? quote unquote stuff about dogs, like I guess us, you know, we have the tendency to overthink things. Oh, absolutely. Because like, yeah, yeah. I just got a puppy, you know, eight weeks ago and I'm finding that a lot and I'm trying to remove myself as the trainer, quote unquote trainer, in a lot of situations and just try and enjoy the dog a bit more. Mm-hmm. And I find that I, I tend to work myself up a bit, thinking like, I oh, fuck this up or don't fuck this up. You know? Oh,
2: mate, absolutely. I went through a real stage of that and now I'm a little bit more back to I'm a little bit more ethereal, but that's sort of, you know, other life related, but for sure, the issue is when you really understand dogs and when you're raising a puppy, you understand all the branch plans of every action that you take, right? And so you're like, if I do this, if I do X, it will lead to this sequence of events. And if I do Y, it will lead to this sequence of events. And you're constantly imagining that in your head and it's exhausting. It's one of the things that I never understood to relate it a little bit to something they used to talk about in the army, being the forward scouts is exhausting, right? It's the, like when you're the guy out the front, it's exhausting. And on exercises, or even just patrolling in general, they say it's exhausting. It's the most mentally fatiguing thing in the world. And on exercises, I was like, this is not hard at all. I am just wandering around with my gun. But then when it's operational and you go like, oh, every three steps, I have to have a new plan as to if I get shot at from the front, from the rear, from the sides, like I have to know where I'm going to take cover. So the mental gymnastics is constant. Right. And when you don't understand that, when you're the pet owner that's just like, I don't understand where all this can go, then for most people, it never goes those ways because like they're just happy go lucky, sort of bumbling through life. Mm. But when you really understand yeah. it, it's f- like raising a puppy in that way is yeah. fatiguing because yeah, you're yeah. imagining, like, fuck what if that behavior gets reinforced yeah. or I love that behavior, but I don't like it in this context. How am I going to keep that behavior alive, but not allow him to express it in this context. And you overthink things. And I think that especially for building compliant dogs, most people who really know what they're doing are great. Right. But for building really powerful dogs, most dog trainers are not that great at that. Um, the the overwhelming majority of people I see that have the best, like most powerful working dogs, It's their first one. Yeah. And then, and so they, they borderline lose control of it or even do lose control of it. And then they link up with someone really good who helps Mm -hmm. them rein it back in. And they end up with the best dogs, like the powerhouses where you look at people who, you know, really know what they're doing and know how to control behavior. They tend to sort of close dogs down a little bit. And that's why you see some of the best competitors in the world don't Mm -hmm. raise their own puppies. And it's not because they can't it's just that other people do a better job of it and they <laughs> yeah. get they get the dog back like yeah. you look at say Ivan like he's the, and I don't want to use him as an example can't raise puppies of course not but like his current dog was a return but he chooses because, not to yeah well yeah. It, it's his current dog that he's competing with was a return dog like a failed dog well not failed it was just the people couldn't handle it right. it was i think he, i think the specific issue with ice was that he chased cars or something like that like really chased cars Hectic, yeah. um and the people couldn't handle it and so and they'd gotten another
1: trainers. And they probably nepo it and made it worse
2: yeah well they'd sort of Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, And then you look at, say, Jerry Bradshaw and his dog, like, Raptor that he's competing with currently was a former IPO dog. And just the people that were competing with him were like, oh, too much. I love these names. Ice, Raptor. Yeah. So, like, I think that's one of the things that for sure is for professionals is that you understand I see where this is going Mm. and I don't like it. Yeah. Whereas sometimes just bumbling through it all pans out fine anyway. And if it doesn't, then that dog is the – perfect dog to put in the hands of the professional to go right mm. now me and you already like you've you're a gangster you've been through your teenage years and you've been enabled and now it's time for the stepdaddy to come in and go yeah. like hey yeah. I'm gonna teach you how to fight properly yeah, like you were a wild animal it's the story of the karate kid guys
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Miyagi <And> then, <laughs> you just need the Mr. Miyagi to come in at the right time <laughs>
2: yeah well you do That yeah. I mean that's the role of the master coach like yeah. that's that's the talent code right mm-hmm. and and that's the metaphor in karate kid is he's just out of control like a lot of passion a lot of fire you can tell I watched it the other day right?
1: <laughs> Oh, the series or the movie? Uh, the movie. Because they made a series out of it now. Yeah yeah. So yeah, yeah. Cobra awesome. yeah. Kai. Yeah,
2: Jane's been watching that, but then she finished that and it was like, oh, I'm going to revisit the movies, <laughs> right? I guess pregnant women get
1: Those guys them. must be counting their lucky stars, man. Because, like, did they do anything between <laughs> the movies and the series? It's <laughs> no. like um, we were what uh, my fiance and I were watching the second coming to America yeah, on yeah, the weekend. Yeah. And I was saying the same thing. I'm like, they had all the original actors, including like the, the big fat dude from the McDowell's who yeah, was like yeah. the milkshake guy. Yeah. I was like, have these guys done anything in the last 30 yeah. years? Like they probably have. And I'm not trying to shit mouth them. No, I'm talking about the other people. Oh like, yeah, yeah. All the, all the background yeah. cast. I'm like, I'll bet they were happy to get that phone call. Right. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, quickly, I'm going to plug the – this this wasn't spurred by you, anything. You didn't tell me to do this. I'm going to plug the Patreon because you did a really good episode last month on raising yeah, puppies. Thanks. And so if you're not in the Patreon and you're listening to this, maybe you should be in the Patreon. Yeah, that's, that's that. the canine paradigm. <laughs> <Patreon>. <laughs> yes. You can
3: go ahead and search that up. You can pass $50. me that
1: $50 under the table now. $3. <laughs>
3: I've mentioned this more times than I can count on my hands and toes, but hearing you guys talking about that, it brings me back to that life lesson that my electrical mentor Gary taught me when I was doing the fridge cases where he said to me, mate, you can always cut some off, but you can't cut some on. Like that lesson stays with me with everything I do. Like the temptation to do things with macho, like I'm thinking, oh, I've got to do it now. I think, no, no, you got, you just got to leave. The most important thing I can do to him now is just, well – when he was going through the critical period was socialization. Yeah. And generalization, that's what I was trying to do with him was just letting him have a general outlook on life about the habituation of behaviors that he was dealing with stairs and so forth. When I'd take him to Bunnings and there was a great big staircase there, walking around the store and then the social aspect of meeting new people, meeting their dogs, coming into training and so forth. I mean, that for him was the most important thing. To be honest, I don't know if he's going to make it into a PSA dog. He's a good dog. I really like him, he's a little soft in some areas for my liking. But I will persevere and see how we go. That's the dice roll, isn't it? It's the dice roll. I mean, I love him to death. He's a gorgeous pup, but I don't know if he's got the Mm. strength and the aptitude to make it through in something that requires more from the dog. But let's see. He's still a baby and maturity does strange and wonderful things and sometimes difficult and cruel things. And Randy's a good big brother for the most. Randy's a very – you know, like I let him – watch and run with Randy a lot. The two of them get on very well so far. There's no problems with them. Randy schools him very well. Yeah, I've um, seen that in your Instagram. Yeah, but very gently as well. Yeah, like yeah. he's actually like a good big brother. He's a right? very good big yeah. brother. Like he, I let I sometimes tie Macho up and create frustration of watching Randy do things and then when he's showing enough activation in it, then I'll unleash him and let him engage in the game as well. So little things like that, little tricks to try and get him to go is watch and mimic, but making sure also when he's watching and mimicking that I'm channeling him into the right behaviors and not the wrong behaviors. Because sometimes people can do things like that when they're letting the, the second dog watch and then all the dog does is channel into the second dog and then goes over and nails the second dog or in, you know, like in enthusiasm or drive building, but that's not what you actually wanted. You, are, you want you want the dog focusing and channeling onto the the game or the object that you're trying to create at that time. So it's it, there is, you know, there are cautions around doing those type of things.
0: In saying that when we're talking about raising puppies and um, I always use your example, about you can always cut it off, but you can't cut it on. And I say that to everyone because when they are raising their own puppy, they, we want, cause we're goal orientated as you know, our society, we always want what we want too quickly. And mm. people are crushing their puppies because now people have so much access to information. They want their five month old pup to, walk at heel and to hold sit stays. And in that first six months, I always tell people you're building confidence as much as possible. We can, we can call back a lot of that stuff later on, depending obviously on the dog, but um, we don't want them to be too scared of making mistakes. And, you know, obviously my son's like 21 months now, and I've been really thinking about that with all the puppies that I've helped people raise is that if we put where there's two sides of the coin, we've got confidence and we have manners Mm. too much manners. We have to take away some confidence and heaps of confidence then we have less manners, and you know that same sort of philosophy in terms of his own critical period will be like four to seven years old. Do I want him to be? Because I know that as I was growing up, maybe my parents weren't were like super hard on me, but they were pretty firm, and I noticed that that c- could have affected some of my confidence growing up, and I was too scared to make mistakes. Mm. And as a person, I, I, obviously, I learned to overcome that, and and I enjoyed the new challenge and competition of life, but. I want the same thing for him and I don't know how good I'm going to do it. And we probably need like 20 kids to get it right anyway. But um, I want him to push boundaries in certain ways, but also have manners. I don't want him to be an asshole, mm. but I don't want him to be too timid and not experience what life has to offer. And with puppies, we can achieve that in like a very short amount of time They mature around the three years old, where with humans it takes a lot longer to see the fruits of our labor. Right. And um, that's something that I've just been trying to focus on. And then obviously, been giving that same advice to, to puppy owners as well is a little bit of confidence, but not too, too much where yeah. we learn to teach them, where we teach puppies to be possessive and to be in control of us. We And there is a fine line and that's why it's hard to give generic advice to to everybody because each puppy, each human and each household is so different. That's a really good point. Yeah. And it reminds me of a quote that Pat's brought up plenty of times
3: before, which is the Morticia Adams quote. What's normal to the spider is chaos to the fly. Mm. We're sitting in a room full of people who like certain things out of dogs, but you go into a pet dog home and that's going to change dramatically. Like what we think is idealistic in our dogs, they're looking at it and go, oh, no, I don't want anything like that. Mm. You know, I I do want the confidence and I do want a a well-rounded stable dog, but I don't want a drivey dog that's every time you take it somewhere, it's trying to chase down a ball or run crazy through this or dive into a bunch of boxes or anything. Where For us, we're rubbing our hands together and going, (laughs) yes, More. But that's the that's conundrum like, that you've yeah. got to deal with when you're, you know, like Pat's saying multiple times that he loves working and teaching teachers, you know, how to build more drive and flashy obedience with his dog. Panos, your business is focused on helping pet owners, cat behaviors and so forth, pet resorts and canine evolution. That's what we're focusing on here as well is we're dealing more with pet dog owners, you know, and on Thursday nights, we've got our PSA training where anybody that comes along to that and a member of the club, They want the drive. They want the flashy obedience because that's the end goal. So at the end of the day, I guess for all of us, we have to look at our target audience in what we're trying to produce and what their outcomes are to make sure that that dog is living its best life. Yeah, It
2: relates to sort of what you're saying there, Panos, as well, that critical period thing. And I think as dog trainers, the more you understand, the more stressful it can be. And then I think you reach a point like of expertise and certainly I'm not there where you're just sort of, it's so intuitive that it doesn't matter and you're like, ah, fuck, it doesn't matter. Right. But you see people like that that are so good and that there's no stress. But for me, the more you understand about critical period and stuff like that, the more stressful it is because you then realize like, oh, there's a genetic bandwidth of capability for sure. Like this dog has a, you know, he was born destined to be something, but I can Fucking derail that. Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing that can be done to change that. And so you really get – I sometimes get really overcritical and analyzing, especially with a young, young dog, like – what am I going to do? Like what's all the branch plans that could come of this, right? Am I going to take you to this? How am I going to make you feel about this? Because if I put you in a, you know, if I accidentally put you in a position with a dog that I think is going to be safe for you and it's not, and, and you get overly corrected or, you know, worse still like properly attacked and you're fucked for life. Mm. Right. And, and a lot of people who sort of, don't know that are kind of blissfully ignorant to it. And I've said to, you know, a lot of people, we say, like, hey, if you take this dog out, if this under 16 week old dog goes out and gets attacked by another dog, like properly injured, you know, whatever is almost a guarantee that he will become an aggressive dog or a very fearful dog. And you will be managing that for the rest of this dog's life. And that will be on you because you put it in that position. And, you know, a lot of people get rescues or whatever, and we just have to go, well, it is what it is because we don't know what happened in that 16 week period. Like Mm. we just have to face this dog. Like we just have to deal with what we see head on. And it is what it is. But if you're raising that dog, anything that happens to it within that critical period and will be imprinted, Mm-hmm. is with it right and when it especially when you start imprinting things on purpose then you see how effective it can be and that's you know when you it was one of the things that really early things I learned from Sam about sort of setting grip and stuff. Like he would put so much emphasis on setting a grip on a puppy and that was it never again. Like you don't have to, cause that's how that dog going to bite for the it. rest of his yeah. life. Yeah. You yep. don't have to like the way he did it was so precise and so accurate and so measured that it was like, I'd never have to address this again. Mm. This That is how that dog will bite for the rest of its life. And it will be hard to make it bite any other way. Yep. You go, wow, that's so cool. And then you think like, and this dog's now afraid of greats and it's going to be hard to change that for the rest of his life, right? Yeah. Because you, you have to take the good with the bad. When you're understanding like imprinting yeah. is imprinting, that's how it is. You've got to go like, yeah, it's cool. I can imprint some cool stuff and I don't have to worry about it. But if I accidentally imprint the wrong thing, that's a big problem. So there's kind of three bandwidths of concern for that. There's people who don't know anything about it and they're like, ah, it doesn't matter because I don't know anything about it. And they either do good or bad and it's happy-go-lucky, whatever they do. Then there's us in the middle that are sort of really aware of it and are like, oh my God, I have to walk on eggshells and I have to carefully manage this dog's life. And then then there's the last phase where you get so good at it that you're like, ah, it
3: doesn't matter again. <laughs> we're, we're in the I think we're in the phase, like we said last week, where Morty with the mind crystal, where you're constantly yeah. going, Ah you know, it's a loaded like you're, gun. You're moving yeah, left yeah. and right and trying to find that middle spectrum of the Goldilocks syndrome just yeah. right.
2: Yeah. It's difficult. But it's fun and the goal is to get so experienced that you get to the other end and it's no longer even on your radar. It's just like, ah, I've been through this. I know what I'm going to do. Well,
1: they don't call it the critical period for nothing, right? Yeah, like yeah. Exactly. Think about it. Like yeah. it's,
0: it's a pretty obvious word, right? Yeah, and totally. I guess, well, then isn't that the answer then to avoid and to fix most aggression cases is working as much as we can with early socialization and then – And that's cool to say, but then someone listening to this now has a four-year-old dog that has bitten five people that have come through the house. And then the answer is, you know, good management. The answer, Panos, to this conundrum, which is something that I've
3: reflected on many years over, I've been doing this. And that is, if it was so easy, the four of us would not be in this career opportunity at this point in time. 100% agree. Dog trainers wouldn't exist. That's exactly right. I think the other day, Luke, you were talking to me about COVID puppies and, you know, what a mm. pain in the ass that is that it's created all these problems. And I'm thinking, hang on, this has created jobs for dog trainers. <laughs> to clarify, yeah. I wasn't complaining. I was just, it was a comment. It was I a was
1: comment. Like, no, not a Wow. Right. Like, as in like we had predicted this, you know, when you came on our podcast, it was like April last year. And yeah. COVID was like, holy shit, what the world's going to end. We don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then to come through it sort of now, you know, vaccines and whatever. And then now- you know, i've only started my business a couple of months ago but every client that i've had so far basically has a COVID puppy
3: the complaint that i have around that is the type of character it's created in the puppy mm. that's where i do have the complaint because it's created a lifetime of instability for a lot of dogs yeah because of the lack of critical period socialization that people are doing and we do we live in an age where you can instantly go to your phone or you can go onto your pc or whatever go straight to firefox or whatever app you access the internet with and say How do I work with critical period socialization? And there's a myriad of good YouTube clips. Yeah, but people don't search that because they don't know that. They're like critical what? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's that's a good point. This is so
2: in my recent venture into trying to use YouTube correctly. There's this thing, Tube Buddy, right? And so it's like it sort of plugs you into the back end of YouTube, and you can check like, is this a suitable title for my? video and it tells, it shows you the search engine optimization or whatever. And if you type in critic, so those puppy videos I just put out, see the title was socialization. Yeah. Right? Mm. Cause if you say critical period socialization, people don't know,
0: nobody's fucking searching for that.
2: Mm. Right.
0: And if they did, then they're doing the right thing anyway. Exactly. And yeah. so
2: only people that are searching for that are dog trainers, that's a right? very because, good point. Yeah. Because people don't know that. Mm. And, and I think it's also really important that we acknowledge, and this is one of the things that, you know, back to that Patreon video at some point, i want to make that public. I just feel bad. Like, I, after I put so much work into that video, I was like, fuck, I wish more people could see this. But, <laughs> yeah, they can if they support us on Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Three bucks a month. For three bucks. But yeah. not to plug up, but I thought I'm just going to – so I got in the Inner West Dog Owners group, right? And oh, yeah. talk about, like, you you can't give dog training advice in there without getting cut down by people who know better, right, who don't. So I just put it and said, hey, who got a COVID puppy, right? Like, and he's willing to have a chat with me. So I rock around at this lady's house – And she's doing everything right. Like everything. The dog's awesome. Yeah. And she's got zero problems with the dog except that it pulls her on the leash a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. and that's it. And she's been working from home the entire time. She got the dog to keep her company, right? Like because she was living alone, working alone and all this and it wasn't a dog person, somehow got talked into it. Um, I will at some point release the full interview with her because in the clip it, it only had like a minute, but I, I was at her place for half an hour talking and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like there was no issues. She hmm. she was like, oh, you know, I didn't want to make him dependent on me. So while I'm working, he's out here in the crate. And well, she had you know. common sense. <laughs> yeah, but I think overwhelmingly that's what people do, right? So we as dog trainers see the worst case scenario. Yeah. Because they're the people that get in contact with us, and you forget that for every one person that has like done everything wrong with their COVID puppy, there's probably two or three hundred that did everything right. Yep. Right? That then the dog's just living its its best life yeah. in the house with the people. And yeah, of course, it's not perfect. And maybe like for us, we wouldn't be thinking this is this is a dream dog for me, but for them, it is. They've they've just done you know in, either intuitively or they've stumbled across the right information. It's confirmation bias,
1: right? Like we, we only see yeah. what we see. The extremes the same way always make the news. Yeah, so. that's it.
2: Yeah. But so, like I say, just to your original point, if you type in critical period socialization, like the into that buddy thing, it it's terrible search, search results. People are not searching mm. for that. If you just type in puppy socialization- How to raise a puppy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Like that's the kind of thing people are looking mm. for, and that there's very little information out there that is- Solid science because mm. it it it's not it's boring, right? Yeah. Like the people listening to this are hardcore into this, and so they can sit through it. But if you try and that's why I'm trying to sort of bring that into my content that I put, you know, publicly that people can find on YouTube is be like, hey. Although I've upped the production value and it looks good, but here's the real info in, in a small nugget that you can digest, right? Mm. Because they just don't know. And it's not easy to find. And the majority of the content that you find is junk. The majority
1: of like puppy raising content is, it's quite bad. Like, yeah, in I, fact, I it it actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I won't, won't name any names, but like the biggest dog trainer names on YouTube, like, mate, I've watched their content. It's yeah. just like, he'll get a pup. He, she, I'm not going to say who it is. They get a fucking piece of hot dog and they literally got their mate filming them at the park, like luring this thing around by its nose. I'm like, what are you, what are you
3: teaching people? Well, yeah. To answer that, Luke, when you look through the content, it's more about vanity metrics. Of course. This guy has millions of subscribers. It's just putting another video out saying, hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you read the book, Ego is the Enemy and even The Madness of Crowds, they really go into the realm of this, like, I want to be seen and I want you to adore me. Validate me. It's a validation process. And that's the sad thing about it. There's no message in it. There's such a small window in it and it's a performance by literally buffoons. But they put out so much that people think, oh, maybe this is right. Yeah. Because they're saturating the internet with rubbish. Well, but And it's just made better. It's more entertaining.
2: Like it's going to, if you don't know, if you're a blank slate mm. and you look at some Jono
3: Going away. That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. it saturates the internet. Yeah, that's know? why you need and, take and away views and they
0: views they, they,
3: they just get access because it's there's so much of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I said, there's nothing there of substance. In saying that, there's people who do put out quality material like yourself. Who oh, are thanks,
2: mate. Yeah. Who are check me out. So search me <laughs> up on YouTube. <laughs> but,
3: <laughs> but, join, join the Patreon. Plug, plug, Three dollars a month. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is like when people are putting out quality information that they're spending time researching the content. There are a myriad of good trainers out there and good behaviorists out there that are putting out fantastic information. Like when you listen to it, you really take something away from it because they're they're not spending the time saying, look at me. They're saying, listen to what I'm saying. You know, like the information is so salient that you can't help be immersed in very good information. But finding that amongst the dragnet of everything else that's out there That's the difficult part. So maybe what we should do as a call to action is if you find something that's brilliant on YouTube or on the internet with good writing is bring it to the forefront, share that around so people can actually have access to it. Like I know that we do that largely on the canine paradigm and the balance symposium and areas like that. Like we try and bring good science and good reading and good material, but you know, like even sometimes that people bring good material. um, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't poke holes in it. And sometimes that needs to be done. Like, you know, in order to produce better material, sometimes people need to take some constructive criticism to say it's good, but there are still some gaps that could be better that or more accessible to people because maybe it's too sciencey. And maybe it's not sciencey enough, depending on who's accessing the information at the time. That's what I like to see what people do is to say, hey, this is really good and it really helped me improve my game. We should be promoting this person's work. People are doing that with puppy stuff like the you find a video that is
2: good and you put it into your go-home pack and stuff like that, yep. right? So it's like – because educating other dog trainers and having them go like, yeah, you did a good job on that video. That's pointless, right? Like what you want is someone who goes, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yes. Now I do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It's because just, yeah. like that's what I've been getting a lot of with the stuff that I've been putting out. People going like, yeah, Pat, I wish more people knew that. And I'm like – tell them Share, <laughs> yeah, Share it. Exactly. Yep. like that's the whole point. Like as much as I appreciate you guys giving me positive feedback and saying like, yeah, that's good. And that's good points. Mm. The whole point is that I want to educate to other people. I don't like, I don't, I don't need to be confirmed by you. Well,
0: mm. it's nice, but please pass that on. Yep. We use a podcast. Like, so when I, we get, when we start to, that inquiries actually I've got someone do my inquiries next. It's too much work. You big business yeah, man. It's the best. Um, shout out to Fiona. Thanks Talk to my help. people. Um, <laughs> but um, whoever um books in, we we put, we put a couple of different episodes. Like, so if you're a puppy owner, six months and under, we give a few different episodes to listen yeah, to. Yeah, perfect. So if you're going to see him in a week and a half, two weeks, you can already start charging a marker. What's the three most important things about puppy training and doing with stuff? Using it as a catalog, and then hopefully people share that around. And and we're here now, and there's heaps of my clients that have heard you guys or heard me and then we're sharing it. And the point of this is to collaborate and to continue putting good work out. And we we're talking before about this freaking still we're arguing about, should we punish a dog? Should we reward a dog? And we're so over it. <laughs> the best thing to do is to, instead of arguing the points, is to just show your work, Yeah, and exactly. put it do out the there work. and, do you the know, and, Lead and by mo- example. Yeah. But people are figuring it out. Mo- so many of my clients now, they're like, look, we've seen three other trainers and they're all about this, this and that. And but they know, they know it doesn't resonate. It sounds good. And they're like, wow. And you've said heaps of times, look, if I could be positive only, why wouldn't I? Yeah. But the point is, is that people know that that's not the truth. And, but they thought, well, we'll give it a go. And they're not getting the results. And I think it's important that we just continue to put out our good work and put our intention to it. And keep working. They it. tried the Kool-Aid, but it didn't taste good. No. Hey, here's a question for you, right? In all your
2: dealings with aggression cases, mm-hmm. what's been the most complex case that you have resolved? Where the dog now is like just living his awesome life and nobody nobody even knows that he was the asshole at some point.
0: This is a good one. This happened a while back
2: and it was a really good lesson for me. So- Jeez, you've jumped into that. I was like, I was expecting they're like, Oh, hang on.
0: Let me think about it. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've thought about it. Okay. I've thought it. So, um, there was a client of mine. She had a dog. Name was rusty and quite dog aggressive, actually very dog aggressive, questionable around people, very scared of men. So it was a rescue dog, like a, you know, a staffy cross, whatever. And, um, that dog was a hot mess. Hey, eh? like re- she put a lot of effort into it. We did like six sessions and I'm like, look, we put this effort in. We've given about like three weeks between every session. I'm like, give it a good amount of time. Let's just keep working at it. I don't want to see you again another two weeks. I want to see you in a couple of months. I want to see where you're at because, you know, with training, we kind of plateau a little Mm -hmm. and I want her to kind of, I want to give people as much knowledge as they can. So they don't rely on me. I want them to become a dog trainer for their dog. And I didn't hear from her for like a year or something. And um, she, she just sent me a message where it was that dog in the same room as another, like six dogs. And she goes, Oh, just by the way, I've, I quit my job and I do dog minding now. And Rusty hangs out with all the other dogs and you know and there was some still a little bit of anxiety issues but just that was that she turned her back on her on her job that she was doing for ages and she obviously didn't like and through the transformation of working with her dog is that now she's you know pursuing the dog industry not in a training way but obviously in dog minding dog walking and and i'm pretty sure she still does it now i think she's moved but she's continuing with it and um and all that was really cool because it empowered her empowered her dog and to show that and everything that we've been talking about now, we talk about aggression and I'm not going to put a number out of my ass, but so many of these dogs are fear aggressive. Mm. I have to say I've seen one dominant aggressive dog and I have to say that he was fucking totally dominant aggressive and actually consulted Glenn as soon as it happened. What kind of dog? It was a Roddy. Yeah. And far, man, it was, it was intense. So there was this one guy and I don't know if he was, you know doing the right thing by the dog he didn't abuse it but he certainly didn't exercise it properly and do any training he just lived with his dog and his house was under construction at the times so the dog was just kind of tethered and one day the dog stepped on a nail so he went to like pull it out of his paw and the dog fucking did not like it and just like cracked him one and then he had to get onto the ground not in the fetal position on his side but like face down and the dog was like nailing his ass in his back and he kind of crawled himself to a wall pulled himself up and ah like the dog stopped wow and then, so he called me and I rocked up and the dog was pretty serious and I didn't want to get anywhere near it. So I'm like, the first thing we're doing here is we're working on charging a marker and I want you to buy a muzzle and the dog needs to be muzzled. Two weeks of practice. When I come, that dog should be wearing a muzzle and then we can continue. I did, ended up walking the dog in that first session. I just kind of thought maybe I should try walking it. But the way that he looked at me, what well, didn't make me feel very comfortable. So I just gave the lead back to the guy and the dog was fucking much heavier than me. Anyway, so then I rocked up and the guy was fucking negligent. He's like, mate, I haven't bought a muzzle, fucking blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, Johnno. fucking whatever. Anyway, so we tied the dog up with my legs. I didn't trust any of his equipment. We tied him and back tied him. And we're working on the muzzle condition. I'm like, look, this is how you do it and blah, 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 and practice this. I'll come back next week. But then right towards the end of the session, this is where shit kind of um, didn't work out. So we'll, I'm like, well, I kind of need my lead back. And the dog's lead, dog's leg was tied around the lead. And I'm like, and you kind of need a pull his leg out of the leash there and i'm like and he looked at me i looked at him i'm like this is gonna be shit i'm like don't worry bro i got your back and i do have his back right so there was a it was a construction site there was a four by two right next to me i'm like i'm gonna keep that close so if the dog gets him i'm gonna try to help him fucking get the dog off him yeah and um i'll do things differently now but this is what i did like four years ago he went to go take the dog's leg out of the leash the dog grabbed his stomach and fucking held it and then that's when I ran in and started, like, hitting the dog on the head to fucking let him go. The dog went for me, but he, I had enough space for him not to get me and then reattached back onto the bloke because he didn't fucking run away from his dog. And it was just a fucking bloodbath. It was blood everywhere. And he was telling me off that I didn't have his back. Well, I'm like, I got the dog off you. talking about. Um, <laughs> it was really out. dodgy. And I'm looking at him going, look, bro. And he's like, what should we do? I can't believe he bit me. And I'm like, I totally believe he bit you. Okay? He's already he's, bit you. He's been doing this shit for ages. And he's been putting on you for ages too. And you don't have that general relationship with him, he just does whatever he wants and you can tell that he wasn't scared of being touched, you can tell he just didn't want to be fucked with Yeah, yeah. anyway so then I gave him a, some advice and he went somewhere else I'm like look man like I don't know if I can help you I can recommend a few different places but we spoke with different people, I spoke to different people and I'm like look to be honest and there's not many times that I do recommend a dog to be put down but I'm like I don't think you have the skill set for it and I don't think anyone else is going to want to take this dog on, that's what I reckon and um, he ended up putting his dog down and two days later, he messaged me and has a pup, another Rottweiler puppy. And right. I was like, holy shit, man. Like, hopefully he learned. Hopefully he did everything. I haven't seen him with that new dog. I don't know what, what life that dog lives, but I consider that a failure on my part. I wish we could have done better because we always want the best out of our clients. But also, I feel bad for the dog, but I also feel bad for him. In a way, I just don't think he has enough education. And he didn't understand what to do from the beginning. But dogs are disposable to him, clearly. Because he keeps on accumulating all these dogs. In 10 years, he's had like seven and they're not alive. So what mm. the fuck is happening? I think it was Elon Musk that said it recently that sometimes
3: the answer is there is no answer. And that's the most frustrating thing about being a dog trainer in dealing with behavioral aspects, especially in things like aggression, that you'd like to think that you're the one that can come up with all the solutions and the answer and so forth. And even when you outsource it and network it to other people and they've looked at it and they're all coming up trumps as well. The answer is there is no answer and Mm. sometimes the best course of action is euthanasia Mm. aggression it's such a complicated enigma of behaviors sometimes and quite frequently it's misdiagnosed Mm. like people are looking at aggression and they don't really realize what they're looking for they think they know what they're looking Mm. at but sometimes they don't there's been a lot of discussions around social media and the like where people are talking about if a dog is in a fearful state of mind and this whole term of fear aggression which Dr. Roger Brandy's corrected us on. Yes. That's a conundrum in itself, the way people have been talking about it and acting on advice that we thought we knew was right. And I think in some cases we were using the right technique but just giving the wrong advice out. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, like I've heard a lot of chatter about it lately where people saying you can never use positive punishment with a dog that's in a fear state. And you've got no argument with me on that. Like I'll never argue with that. You can't correct fear away. Mm -hmm. The simple answer that I have for people is this: this is going to be a long game. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something that you're going to be totally invested in for a long period of time. I mean, it's like going to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or a psychoanalyst and saying, I've got a lot of problems that stem from my childhood. They're not just going to pat you on the back and say, get over yourself. And that's not the job of a dog trainer as well, is they need to sit there and they, you know, anybody who's worth their salt who starts dealing with this, you're not just working with conventional methods anymore. You're actually sitting down with somebody to say, all right, we've got a lot of work to do here. Well, it might not be as much work as you think it is, depending on on the basis of the behavior. But more than often, when you've got a dog that is quite fearful and is lashing out with aggression and it's reinforced itself on that behavioral outcome, There is probably a lot of undoing that needs to be done. That's the disappointing thing for a lot of people because it's sometimes going to be a considerable financial investment. That's your profession as a dog trainer. You can't take on all these mercy cases and then find yourself like now I'm fully immersed in 10 dog aggression cases where nobody's got any money to resolve the issue. And it's not like you're just trying to be a greedy bastard either. But the thing is, is like I said, if you go to any one of those professions and you need to sit down, they're working with you over a long period of time. Like they're spending a lot of time trying to undo and trying to help you come to terms with why you felt like that in the first place. Effectively, without even the skills of being able to effectively have a like a verbal conversation with a dog – That's the harder thing that we have to take on as our adaption process into dealing with this as well, is we don't even have the ability to verbally sit down with the dog and talk it through. You know, like we've just got to work through with mainly systematic desensitization processes because the dog is sensitive to some or varying forms of stimulus. And it's a hard process. It really is. But then... On the other side of the spectrum, you get into things like instrumental aggression where that is that can be punished because the dog is in an operant mindset where it's thinking, fuck you, I'm going to bite you. You've got yeah. something I want, I'm going to come over there and take it from you. Well, you can say to the dog, no, you're not going to do that. I will punish you for that type of behaviour. Now, I've even heard good trainers say you can't punish away aggression but they don't know all the forms of aggression fear-based aggression where aggression has stemmed from the dog being in a fearful state of mind agree with you but when the dog is operant and it understands it and it's the action is instrumental which is operant as well Mm. but when they're in that frame of mind where they're making a choice to be aggressive to to take a possession or to do something in an act of rage or spite against another dog well bob Fucking correct them. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be in a state where I'll say, no, no, you, you can't do that. You're never going to do that on my watch. But there's a lot of people who don't actually know the difference between the two of them, and that's where it comes up to the intelligence of the person doing the consult with them at the time yeah. to be able to analyse that and saying, this is the frame of mind where your dog is. This is the course of action that we now need to take. Yeah, I agree. When you hit a
2: case, a behavioural you know, pet case where it is real, whether it's prey aggression, mm. if we're going to say that, or dominance sort of based aggression, it's so easy. Yeah. Because you just go like, hey, that doesn't have the outcome you think because it has. Because it's operant. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's it's just a behavior. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you can just go like, oh, I can treat that as a behavior. But with aggression that stems from fear, uncertainty, anxiety, any of those kind of things, in my experience – that leaks into the whole of life of the dog yeah. and all the triggers get a lot lighter. So like if a dog is possessive and he'll fight another dog that tries to take his stick, it usually ends there. Right. So yep. he's like, he, he can be around that dog without the stick. Right. Like, yep. and, and it's, it's easy. Right. Or, you know, it, with that Roddy, like that would have been, you know, if you have the right contacts, you go, Oh, we're going to sell him here. We're going to make, we're going to make $8,000 today. And <laughs> he's going to be a yard dog in Papua New Guinea. And he's going to, He's going to have a wonderful life, getting to nail the fuck out of anyone that ever jumps a fence. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those kind of aggressions is, is, in my opinion, really easy to avoid if you don't want to use punishment. Mm. Really easy to punish away, but also really easy to sort of sharpen that spear and go like, go ahead, man. Fucking be aggressive as you want in that context because that's what we want from you. Mm. But when it's really that fear, anxiety, or, you know, insecurity sort of based, the triggers get lighter and lighter and lighter. And and not necessarily from the dog's point of view, like if a dog really thinks it is alive because of the aggression that it's showing, no amount of pressure will stop that. You can't stop that. Mm. They'll They'll die before you can physically punish that out of them. If mm. he is convinced doing this is the only thing that keeps me alive. And so that when you get a dog that really is convinced of that, they can be fucking dangerous dogs to be around, man. Like really dangerous. Totally agree. One of the earliest cases, I'm, I'm, I'm positive i was spoken about on the podcast, but it was I was pretty new to behavior stuff. I was, I think I was still in the army, but it was a Doberman that was what had happened. And the people would say that he was aggressive, and he was certainly, but he was so reactive to dogs that for some reason he'd got it in his head that he had to attack every dog. And it was clearly uh, some sort of fear response, but he had no intention of going backwards. He could only go forwards. And over time, you know, because they'd had, they'd seen multiple trainers and and they'd probably left it a long time. And then they'd seen multiple trainers that had given them multiple branch plans of bad advice or, or advice that they didn't do correctly. I, I don't know, but it got to the point where it, if that dog thought there was any chance of another dog being present, it would nail whoever was holding the leash Mm -hmm. and it was fucking dangerous. And I kind of, the dog in the house was great, right? It was like, you know, rolling around the floor
3: with the kids. Isn't that the sad and disappointing thing?
2: Yeah. And it was, it was one of the, it was this really nice dog, really Great dog in the home. Like they loved it. It was all great. And they were in the 2 a.m. walking club, right? Because Uh if the dog was on the street and it even scented another dog, it would nail them. And it had bitten the lady and she was small. She was like not, not much bigger than the dog. And so I had my bite suit in the car. And because they're like, you can't go out. And I was like, well, we have to start somewhere. Like we can't, I'm not going to bring another dog into your home. Mm. Right. So I've got my dogs in the van, in my car. They're not getting out of the van. They're staying in their cages. Right. And I'm going to park that down the street and we're going to have to sort of start working at like this kind of range. Right. So. And they told me that the it had bit the lady, and they got to be careful. I say, have you ever done any protection work? No, never. Promise. And you've had this dog since it was a puppy. Yep. So no one's ever done any protection work. No. Okay, cool. I'm going to put my bite suit on, right? Because now, I, dog doesn't know what a bite suit is. He doesn't know to bite it. I can, I can take the bite. It's not going to be a big deal. So this dog, we're fucking walking down the street. We're only, we're not even clear of the front of their house sense my dog in the car just smells my fucking dog that as soon as the wind changing come into it and turn around and bit me as good as I've ever been fucking bit Mm. like full mouth, like big Doberman head, my whole thigh in this dog's mouth and the people freak out because, you know, they've never seen anyone get bit in a bite suit before. And I looked at the lady with this dog hand off my leg. I said, did he fucking bite you like this? And she goes, yeah, that's how it went. I was like, I cannot believe mm. that you walking. still have this dog. Mm. Yeah. Like, I cannot believe. And mm. anyway, we, we worked through it, right? But from their perspective, the dog was this hot mess. And he was- but it was all the same issue it was just that it had built from frustration the same small problem of having issues with other dogs had built over mm-hmm. time over time over time to the point where that dog was like i have to do this this is the only this is the only way that i survive and he bit like what was amazing about it is you look at the relationship in the house. I can't believe she kept such a, a good – I mean, she's a better person than me, right? She kept this amazing relationship with the dog and they just managed him to never expose him to the triggers. And to see the dog clearly loved her and clearly, you know, enjoyed her company and they were great together. But then to see the, what he did to me and to imagine him doing it to her, oh, yeah. you have to then think like, shit, he, imagine the conflict in that dog's mind. Imagine the emotional state that he's in where he's like, I love you. We spend all day together. All all the resources I get come from you. I'm your pet. You're the owner. We have this great relationship in the house. The dog did a lot of obedience because that was one of the people that sort of told them to do a lot of obedience training. So the dog knew a lot of cool stuff, could do a lot of cool tricks and all that kind of stuff. Imagine putting that dog into a mindset where he's like, I love you, Panos, but if I smell another dog, I fucking have to bite you. Mm-hmm. And that is the only means by which I stay alive. But right? that's not the way they're thinking. Like, they're not thinking with that brain. And that's. No, but that's what I mean. Like, that's mm. you're putting a dog in that position because he remembers having done it. Like, yeah. in that moment, he's just doing whatever it takes to stay alive. Mm. So there's a lot of irrational thought going on where he's built that in his mind. He thinks that's how he saves a life because that is what got him out of that situation enough times that that's what it was. And of course he didn't bite her like that the first time. He probably just came back the line a little bit and it all escalated mm-hmm. and escalated and escalated. But man, I remember standing there looking at her with this fucking dog hanging off my leg going, is this how he bit you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. Wow. Like, and so it's complex, man. Like it's, it's, very- it's so complex to the point that, That would have been an easy case if I didn't have all the history and know all the parts and and was bright eyed and bushy tailed and willing to work through that kind of stuff. That would be like, Oh, I can't help you. The trigger Mm -hmm. like the dog is it appears to have come out of nowhere. And if you're walking the dog down the street and he scents another dog and turns around and nails you, you can't smell that dog, right? So like that's one of those cases where we go, Oh, it came from nowhere. And with that dog, I mean it's a long road, but we just had to show like, hey, you're not in the danger you think you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it doesn't have the effect. And one of the cool things about that kind of work when you you know, have the right equipment is that you can show the dog, your aggression is not effective either. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that that's why I encourage so many people that would deal with aggressive dogs is to learn how to work dogs in a suit and get Mm -hmm. used to doing that and have a bite suit. It just so that you can, be protected, and you yeah. can put yourself in a position that you just can't otherwise. Mm. And then, when you do get bit by the dog, it's not the end of the day. Like you imagine, you're a dog trainer. If that dog would bit me, it's targets down, patch out. Like we're finished, and I'm probably not working walking properly again ever. Mm. And the dog is reinforced. Mm. Whereas that day, like everybody was thinking, this is the
3: end, and I'm standing there like, no, this is no big deal, right? Mm. So a similar situation. <laughs> To what you're talking about happened to me. And it was not long after I arrived in Sydney where I went and did a consult. Same sort of thing. Dog was nailing the owners or anybody that walked it when it was stimulated by another dog in the presence. So I did the same thing, donned the bite suit, went and took the dog out. Dog nailed me a couple of times, just didn't react to it. And, you know, like we we were making good headway with the dog. And I'd gone through the big preach about how you can't punish away fear and so forth. And we just had to make the behavior go extinct to a large degree as best we possibly could. So this was working really well. So one day we took the dog out. The dog <laughs> saw another dog. I shouldn't laugh at this because it was it really pissed me <laughs> off. But the dog saw another dog. It turned around and looked at me and I went, good boy. He looked at my leg and he contemplated and then he didn't do it. And then he went for my fucking foot. And he, he got me on the foot. And I, I was wearing boots at the time, but he crushed my foot. Motherfucker. In so I, I corrected him for that. Mm. And the owner said, Oh, why, why did you do that? And I said, because he's fucking operant now. And I said, and he selectively chose a target. Mm. I said, you have to actually see what he's doing. I said, yeah, I agree. The first couple of times I can't do it because he's out of his mind. But did you see that he actually looked around my body and went down to my boot? And I said, I said, I'm impressed, but I'm also disgusted at the same time. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm conflicted with how I feel about this, yeah. but I did correct him for that. They were confused about the whole situation. I said, it's confusing. And I said, but you have to realize he was analyzing a body part to bite <laughs> and realize, well, this fucker's not feeling it if I bite him in the leg or the abdomen anymore. So he went down and bit me right on the boot, wow. you know? And I I was impressed, but I was also horrified. Yeah, at that stage I corrected him because I thought, no, you actually, you went and chose a target right then. Yeah,
2: so this is not a reflex. That's not mm-hmm. a reflex anymore. Mm-hmm. This, this is, is a choice. Bad choice, choice
3: bro.
0: Yeah. We did an episode not long ago talking about mindset versus behavior and, you know, behavior is a reflection of mindset, but to really truly change mindset, we need to change behavior. And that's a bit of a paradox to, mm. to work with. And it's going to be hard to talk about putting that onto a piece of paper or to put into a post we've been talking about it, is that, you know, how do we manage and control and then convince the dog that it has other options and how do we create more of a, you know, classical response to, yeah. to, to the dogs yeah. and, and, And we started to see that yesterday where there's a staffy dog and just wants to run and bite a dog. And and there is more prey there than there is about aggression. And and it's really technical to teach somebody that doesn't know anything about dog training, about how leash pressure works and how to teach a dog to turn it off and to focus back on us. And she's really persistent, this lady, and I love her. So she's working on it, working on it. We're down at Cronulla, there's like heaps of dogs. And I had Nookie with me, so a little small white fluff, and I'm telling her to spin, so as soon as she does a behaviour – the dog wants to, wow, and like shakes and then lunge. And then there was a moment and I had to kind of, and I had on video luckily so I can show her, was that the dog looked and went and then looked back at her owner as soon as it felt any pressure on the leash and then ran back to her for a reward. And I was like, fucking awesome. And mm-hmm. I was trying to explain to her what, what was happening there because all she would normally do, like any other owner, is hold the dog back and then, you know, normally let go at the worst time so the dog gets reinforced. And the hardest part of all of it is to try to make people a little bit more, aware of the most subtlest dog body language to be subtle about what it is that every single interaction you're having with your dog is training. Does, training doesn't mean when you have your pouch on. Training is every single interaction. And, and then everyone had goes through shit. Like, you know, the poor lady um, lost her husband not long ago, and now she's, like, raising a family on her own, and they got the dog to support the, the husband, but now he's not around. And, like, everyone's got their own personal life on top of dog training life on top mm, of. Mm. In that, I've been doing a lot of thinking on that. Training is something that you do with
3: intent. Mm -hmm. You know, but responses to behavior are something that will happen regardless of your intent or not. You know, like we're always learning, we're always stimulated by something and we're all, like regularly we're reinforced and punished by just normal things in our environment. So the law of anything operant is that if it's favorable, it'll occur more frequently. If it's not, it will occur less frequently. And that's the issue that a lot of dog people, owners, trainers get into is training. We actually go, all right, I'm going out to do something with intent, Mm -hmm. you know. But just because you've switched that off now and go, all right, we're not doing training, I'm taking my pouch, off. I'm taking my clicker out, the dog is still learning about its environment. Mm-hmm. And I think most people now agree that dogs behave and they learn in any environment, well, I've got access to more of that because I get reinforced for it, or now I'm being punished in that behaviour so I'll do it less likely. The environment can punish them or reinforce them, and we might not be present to that at the time, so we might not actually be there to see what's actually going on with the dog and what's happening in the environment, but it's still nonetheless, it's happening. That is a problem that you're dealing with if you're not aware or you're not setting up your environment properly, but you can't be there 24 hours a day with a dog. Mm -hmm. You just got to do the best you can with what you know. And when you are doing training with intent, you have to be switched on to say, okay, I've got these things that I've got to work on. And I've got this set of behaviors that I need to refocus into a better area. That's what I need to do, and that's the focus that I need to shift on with, you know, my training plan and such. I'm just thinking back to that dog biting you in the foot.
2: <laughs> oh, that I was know. a little bastard. <laughs> but I'm thinking it's a really good example of how. Lucky he wasn't a Doberman or a big working breed. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's a really good example of how, like, without giving an alternate behavior, the dog then tries something new. So you showed him, like, hey, that's not effective. Right? Mm. You're biting me in the suit is not effective. That's not having the what? You, that's not having the effect that you want. Now, I suppose that you could probably say that you just weren't reinforcing the bite. And from another angle, you could maybe say that it was negative punishment, right? Because there's a few ways you could think about it. And if we think about it as as that, as punishment, then it's like, okay, I won't do that because it's not been reinforced, Mm. but I'll try this. And that's what happens. And I think that's where a lot of people sort of give up on treating those kind of things is because- The dog is trying something different, but it's only a subtle version of something different. And Mm. you got to go like, actually, that's not allowed either. And there's a couple, like now that this is a live bite, now I have to show you like an aversion to that rather than it just not being effective. Mm. Now I'm going to put an aversion to doing that. And then the dog goes like, all right, okay, I can't do that either. And then they might try one or two other things before they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm helpless. What should I do? do? Yep. And then you go like, thank you for this, right? Mm. And so long as you can keep the dog safe and that helpless point like doesn't, you know, we're not flooding and we're not getting to the point where like flooding can work. I'm not anti-flooding like, but it's not my go-to, right? You want to show the dog like all these things that you're trying, they're not the magic bullet you think Mm. they are, right? Mm. And then if you can help the dog in the moment, great. Bring on the alternate behavior that you want. But if he's not interested in taking any direction, you have to just wait him out till he looks at you and goes, I need help. And you go, mm. Glad you asked, right? And here's
3: the behavior that will get you out of that. It's tricky. It is tricky and that's definitely the best course of action to do is wait until the dog blanks out and basically says, Well, I don't know what to do. What do you want from lead me? me. Yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. think back to some of the stuff you've said. You've said this a few times.
1: Like as dog trainers, we deal in the inevitable. And I think about that a lot. Like, and that's what it is, right? Like you're like, bro, I'll just wait you out. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Well that I mean, that's like with that domain case, that's what
2: and, and I do it with you know, not a lot of dogs, but I've done it with plenty of the time where they're, I just let them bite me mm-hmm. and you go like, There's no success. this isn't yeah. having the effect you think. The problem is though, like I, I've found that not to generalize very well. They go like, okay, you're impenetrable, but everybody else is still. So it's not the magic bullet either. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, it, it's, everything
3: is nuanced. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to get back into psychoanalysis and and professions like that. And I'm not making light of this and I don't want to trigger anybody and make them think that it's just a simple process because it's absolutely not. But when you're dealing with someone in a process like psychoanalysis, where you're sitting down and speaking to someone in a room, they're not doing anything other than conversing backwards and forwards with you. Yes, they're you know they're suggesting and they're they're working with you but there's no wizardry going on in that situation like what they're doing is they're regressing you and they're working safe in a safe environment but what they are doing is they're being very patient they're getting to the root of the problem and they're spending the time that's needed to be spent so that person can come to the conclusion of whatever they need to come to but you know the time frame that takes Who's got the answer to that? Mm. You know, like you could be talking months, you could be talking a year, maybe two, maybe three, maybe more. People listening to that with with aggression cases are thinking, dude, I haven't got that time to be months and years into this game. And you usually find that when we're dealing with dogs, we're not talking about that end of the spectrum, but we are still talking that this is a long game. if I can make a point on this podcast is that when you are dealing with a fearful base behavior and the dog is being aggressive as a consequence of that, you can't just go out there and consult with trainers who are just saying, I I, I guarantee I can fix this in three lessons. Yeah. Like that they're red flags straight away. Mm. And you have to acknowledge that when people are saying that basically what they're saying is I don't really know what I'm doing. Okay. But I'm marketing it and I'm trying to exist in this area. Mm. So what you probably need to do is ask them a lot more questions, you know, like what success have you had in this? How many times have you done this? Can I see some referees from people who you've successfully cured their dog in three lessons, you know, and completely eradicated the behavior and not only that, but not crush the dog where the dog is. That's
2: what I was going to say, because it's totally possible. Yeah. Like I can just make the dog more afraid of the consequence than the other thing. Yeah, Like, of course he can do that. Mm. No problem. I can just, strap 16 that's the magic bullet yeah not crushing the dog and that's right that's all the people that are like no guaranteed I can do that in three lessons or or two or or one Yeah, it's like yeah I I can uh, strap 16 e-collars to a dog as well and Mm. fucking fry them like that's not fixing the problem that is just creating a whole new problem yep and especially when it's prey type stuff, when it's like, yeah, like I know how to shut down dogs as well. Like mm. I know how to completely turn off the seeking system and make the dog wish he was dead. There's no skill involved in that, and that is not fixing the problem. Well, That's there's no creating, ethics
3: in it either. Yeah, but that, that is, that is the issue.
2: That is just creating an entirely bigger problem. Mm. That mass. It's like putting a dome over that little problem of big problem
3: over the top of it. Like mm. so, you can keep that shit. I'm not interested. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, we've evolved beyond that point now. Hopefully, there's still practitioners out there that are doing that because that's the secret sauce that old Pappy Jim passed on down to them. But anybody who's involved in the evolution of behavioural sciences and training have now moved past that point. Like we know so much better now that there's no reason to keep lingering in those old archaic methods of training anymore. Effectively, that's why it angers so many people, and that's why there is such a movement against it is because there is so much vulgar training out there that was acceptable 30, 40 years ago because that's all we knew. Mm. But we have collectively gained in intelligence and integrity over that period of time where people do have access to resources and, and higher forms of education. And if they aren't, they really need to get on board with getting schooled on that type of thing. They really need to look at themselves and saying, you know, this racket that I've been living for such a long time I ain't going to cut it no more. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a dead end business now. And people are finding it quite repugnant and repulsive. So we really need to move beyond it. It is. And it kind of
2: reminds me when you hear about I kind of get uneasy about decoys that brag about running dogs and stuff, especially mm. if they're testing green dogs and they, you know, talk about how easily they could run the dog and that. And it's like, hey, it's pretend he's for you because you were in a bite suit. It's real life for him. Yeah, Like mm. you can start bragging about this when you do it in no bite suit. Then- Anybody can be a hero when you're using Yeah, you're using a your fucking suit of armor. Mm. You're impenetrable to the dog, yep. right? Like, mm. and now you're, you're talking about, oh, what a piece of shit he is. I managed to get him off the bite. It's like, yeah, like- <laughs> You're wearing a bite suit,
1: like eventually you got god mode on. Yeah, Yeah. like
2: eventually he has to eat. Every dog comes off the bite eventually, Mm -hmm. right? Like you. Let's see how you go without the bite suit on, and then we'll see where his margin for fucking letting go is. For
0: sure, I think also like you know talking about aggression, and you know the best advice is you know seek because obviously people around the world listen to this is seek some one-on-one advice and don't try to Google your way through it because you'll screw it up. Hopefully you don't, but you probably will. But you know the prevention is the best cure, right? So give your dog a job, you know, fulfill him from right from the moment that you get him and establish a good relationship, good focus. Tell him what you want him to do. Don't focus so much on what you don't want. I think. So that's, that's a really good point, Panos. That point right there would give your dog a job, mm. and I think
3: that you're actually invested in actually like good outcomes with a trainer or a behaviourist that you're working with. The other thing that people really do need to do, and they must access that more, is give the dog something ongoing to do. This is where things like and I'm going to use the example of nose works, are very transformative for a lot of dogs that have these outcomes because now it's subsequently like the box work that Pat started to popularise. It gives the dog something too. And if they're not doing the box, they should be invested in the box as well. So that's one of the go-to things that I'm saying to people. You really need to listen to the box episode you need to be immersive in that because that is something that's going to help your dog re-centralize itself and be able to cope in, you know, you can migrate that out and start getting the dog incrementally into the environments where it's having an issue with once it's comfortable, you know, and invested in the box game. Okay. And it's the same thing with nose works. I've seen dogs that are, I know are aggressive dogs, but when they're doing nose works, they're completely invested in the game. You know, they don't want to be aggressive because they're invested in finding that odor. Human aggressive, dog aggressive dogs. Okay. And after a period of time, I've even seen that side of the dog start to wither out because the dog is now thinking, this removes me from access to doing all these other things. Plus, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm not that person. or I'm not that dog anymore. It's meditation, bro. That's what it is. That's right. It really is. Yep. Whether it's
1: nose works or the box, like. You know, similar, like you're getting the dog to indicate on something. Yeah. Meditation. Yeah. You, exactly. You've you been talking about this more lately. You're meditating a lot more in lot recent more, times, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Or a day, me, you yeah. were saying?
2: Oh, not a full hour. I don't know. Like, so minimum 20
1: minutes. Yeah. That's enough. Um,
2: yeah. It's really been transformative for me. And the way I meditate is kind of high stakes. So, like, I, I, since I got that. It's not like you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: since I got that infrared sauna, oh, I yeah. do it in the sauna. So, there's a consequence for being aware of yourself. Sure. So, like, you, you really, can't pass out in there. Well, it, you you can. The way I have, <laughs> no, I mean, it would be dangerous to... It would be. I've actually considered that a few times, and I have it set up so that if I I would uh, fail safe, I or? would fall out of it if oh, I passed into the out door, the yeah. way that I sit yeah. in it. But meditating in the sauna, it just means that if you, you know, if you're not concentrating on what you're concentrating on, and you become aware of yourself, your body you're suddenly sitting in a sixty-five degree. Room. Fucking hot box. Yeah. So, if you want to escape that, you got to stay concentrated. Yeah. Hey, mate, for you, I'm curious what was the experience like since you just started your own little business, mm. walking into your first client's place? That was a real client, like not a referral, not a family member, yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. someone like
1: that. Yeah. Was a real like they don't they don't know you, you yep. don't know them. Yeah, first time. Yeah, that it's go? fucking nerve wracking, man. Like yeah. to be honest, because you're walking in there as the person who's supposed to know enough to help them. And it's funny, right? Like because a lot of, I guess, infighting in the dog industry and dog dog trainers tend to knock each other and stuff like that. But the reality is to help someone. This is something that I got from a business leader. To help someone as a client, you've only got to know that much more than they do. Mm-hmm. And that much putting them in the right direction of, of what they didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I was nervous. Well, I was nervous. What was um, the case? I was like a, the, f- the first person that contacted me that wasn't a referral. Um, she just got a little staffy. It's like six months old, like typical staffy, like lots of staffy energy. And I was yeah. just like, give the dog a job. Like, yeah. you know, teach it to play tug. Teach it to place command. Teach it to loose leash walk. Like a lot of the stuff that I've seen panels do and that kind of stuff and stuff I've learned through the NDTF and listening to you guys. And the dog's heaps better now. Yeah, so
2: it
3: all went well. Yeah, it went well. Hey, went well. you didn't do a nervous poo in their toilet. Did you? <laughs> no. I know a trainer that on his first job, he was so nervous. He had to do a nervous poo in the oh toilet. Oh, my God. And I said, dude, of all the things that you could have done wrong, it's and that. And admitting to it as well. Like <laughs> if I did it, I wouldn't say I did it afterwards. Oh, man. Uh,
2: oh, that's good. Because uh, I still remember my first ever... It's nerve-wracking, right? Oh, like, yeah. You're dude.
3: like, fuck. You yeah,
2: walk- and I was an hour early. I sat in the car out the front and was <laughs> fucking flicking through notes and all this kind of shit. And then it was a shit show. It yeah. was- you could feel your heart
3: beating
1: a little bit.
2: Yeah. It's been a yeah. long time but, since but first
1: but- Yeah, and afterwards, it was like an adrenaline dump. Yeah. Because it is like it's the first experience of, you know- like a build up to it because, you know, I've gone through the NDTF. I'm still, and I haven't finished my NDTF. Like, I'm still doing my assignments and stuff. I'm not, I never told her I'm like certified or whatever. I was like, yeah. I'm learning, you know, but I can help you. Yeah. So, did and- you go in there with your L plate on? <laughs> no. <laughs> L for Luke, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, man. It's a tricky one. I still remember when I rocked up that first time and, uh, it was a shit show. The dog training part of it was minimal. It was actually, but that's still, the thing,
1: isn't it? Yeah, like, really, it's it's more
2: about people to people. Oh, dude, it was a family in ruins, and yeah. they were screaming and arguing in front of me, and I was just like, Full "Holy fuck!" Oh no, that was yeah. that was rich as God. Yeah, mate, they had. I, they, I actually remember thinking I should have fucking charged more for this. This is outrageous. <laughs> I sat in the car afterwards. That's a good lesson to learn as well. Oh, yeah. Dude, I sat in the car afterwards and was like, oh, I don't think I'm a dog trainer anymore. I was like, I need to, I seriously need to develop my people skills Mm -hmm. and my interpersonal skills because that was not dog training. This was something, the dog, the the issue with the dog was it ran out the door and they opened it. Like that was it, right? I was like, don't do that.
1: Well, when this lady (laughs) filled out my form, lovely lady, lovely family, and she had written like I know she'd written like reactivity or something like that. And or like the dogs I can't remember what she wrote, but it's like when you get when you get there, it's a lot less than what she had described. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that she wasn't having a hard time. Yeah, yeah. It's two experience. different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How she feels and the objective reality is two different things. Yeah. But you have to address her subjective reality. Totally. Her feelings towards that situation. Yeah. Did you tell them, hey, this is my first day? No fucking <laughs>
0: <laughs> No chance. Do you, remember, do you remember yours panels? My first one was my neighbors actually. Ate.
2: Doesn't count because they're your neighbors. I yeah, want to no, hear the no. story first, of okay. like
3: your first first person that rang your phone, yeah,
2: or emailed or whatever, and just were like, "Hey, I'm after a dog trainer." An unknown
3: yeah. client that was
0: uh, in the wild. The first, yeah, I can't remember the first because I always rec- I always thought Red would be the first because it wasn't like they well I guess they did see me with my dogs and like, oh my god, you're so amazing with the dogs. Why? How do we do it? And I'm like, oh fuck, I just did a dog training course. And they're like, come to our house and we'll pay you. I'm like, are you sure? And and yeah, and like I guess the same I didn't really feel too like nervous, nervous. I felt like I felt like a little bit of a hack. Like, are you sure you want to like get advice yeah, from me? Imposter, man. And then I told them some shit and every single thing that you say would like blew their mind. And I'm like, oh shit. And I always had a lot of my friends like saying Make business cards. You got to get out there, and because I was at the shelter at the time, so I was when I did make cards, I was passing them out to every single person that bought a dog. I'm like, hey, you know, do some training with your dog because the dog knows me, whatever. But I soon found that everyone can benefit from something that I had to say, so it felt good. I felt nervous more so that I just didn't want to do the wrong thing. But it was a long time ago now. I guess it was you know, like this November be ten years, you know. So Mm. it's um, it's been some time. But Red was the first one. Well, you say it doesn't count, so now I'm going to go back on the uh, in the folder and find that first dog.
2: You know that imposter syndrome that you're talking about there yeah. and that, like, who am I to do this? I was able to stem that completely just by making the decision that if I don't think I can help these people, I'm not going to take their money.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Simple yeah. as that. And, yeah. it, like, I've I'm, I'm stuck with that. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and- mine was the, the thing, like, if I know more than they do and I can help the dog, even if, I, like, a little bit, then by definition I'm not an imposter mm-hmm. because I've helped them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, when I was at the shelter, I, there was many dogs that would have been put down if I didn't intervene and push the boundaries. They didn't want, they didn't like the style of train that I did when I was there, and and I took the initiative to get it out there to put, like they them room they moved the cat cattery into another location, so there was quite enough room to put three or four dogs in there and to experiment, so to speak. You know, I never really like ruined a dog or anything, but I put the dogs in a position where we say that they're dog aggressive, but there was no aggression, and then there was in-house politics and all that sort of shit, which was, which is no good. Actually, it kind of tests your, you know, how your, your intention that, you know, you guys are against me, but we're all on the same team. How does that even work? Mm. And aren't we supposed to be rehoming dogs, not putting a dog down on my day off because you know, I'd get the shits mm. like that shit, you know what I mean? And so I knew I was competent. I just didn't feel that people wanted to listen because I never taught people. I was always training dogs, but then to teach people to train dogs. And, and I guess I've had a different, I've had different sorts of life experiences so I can I can uh, um, relate to different sorts of people. The old gym down the road compared to the, you know, the 18 year old boy that doesn't want to conform. Like, you know, there's different mindsets that you need to adapt and you, I'm a different version of myself at every different session mm-hmm. and analogies. And I'm all about using analogies. If you haven't noticed, you know, listen to our podcast. I'm always giving stories to relate to it and relate to ourselves with the dog, but not be anthropomorphic. And, you know, you've got to put yourself in a different realm and, some people that are close to me can't handle me. I'm probably too deep. Um, you guys called me an urban hippie last time, but <laughs> you fucking Sleepy now Boy. New, now you're the new urban hippie. Sleeping boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sleeping boy, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I accept that title. All right, beautiful. Yeah. I accept it. But um, now nah, look, it's been cool to see the the growth of of the podcast that you guys have done as well. I've listened to every single Episode and I've learned heaps, and I quote you guys all the time, and puts us on the right track. And you know, there's no competition; we're all working together. You know, and
2: there's no such thing as competition in the dog world.
3: I, I don't. No, think. I, just
0: I don't. There's plenty of dogs for everybody. Yeah, right. Totally, we'll never you know, run out and, of dogs, and we have to be especially there. not in the
3: last twelve months.
0: No, we have no to be there for each other to to get different perspective and to and to grow and to learn and to network with each other. And I and I'm really really big on that. So it's raising the bar. That's what it
3: is. You know, like if all of us are working to raise the bar and leave a legacy to other people, I think that's the thing that we all need to concentrate on is it's not about you or Mm -hmm. me or anybody, like any singular person. It's about the community that you're leaving behind because you're just not eternal. You're not going to be able to do this forever. You know, like new generation going to come in, you're going to be critical of them, but you also have to guide their hand Mm -hmm. as well. You know, I mean, I remember, I remember when I was a younger trainer, and I, you know, like I, I started to get involved in teaching other trainers how to train. And I used to feel threatened by that. Like I th- used to think, oh, I'm teaching my competition. But then that was a shitty mindset. Mm-hmm. Like then I started to think, no, I'm actually teaching the future. Mm-hmm. You know, like what I'm doing is I'm giving people what was given to me and then telling them that they need to go out there and be better than me, mm-hmm. you know, and be better. Like, look for more and look for better resources and information, and then give that to other people. It's, a, it's the only way it survives and it, it evolves. It relates back to what we we're talking about at the start about that imprinting.
2: It's yeah. like you're responsible for cultivating this. Exactly. It, it, it cracks me up. One of my mates the other day is talking about, ah, oh, this fucking kid, he's always on the iPad. And I'm like, yeah, how did he get that? Yeah, who gave it to him? Yeah, got no money. No. Like, he, <laughs> you, you <laughs> he didn't fucking- go to the Apple store. <laughs> <and> yeah, I like- did. <laughs> like, yeah. You gave it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Son fucking of created this fucking monster. You
1: kids on their video games that yeah. like yeah. you bought for them and yeah. then put Strangled them in front kids of and they're, You they're
2: created this monster. And that's when you see people, they're <laughs> like, ah, oh, these fucking new guys, they're, they're not like us back in the day. And it's like, that's your fault. Yeah.
3: Like, you taught them.
2: Treat them yeah. like you want them to be treated. And they're our parents were hating
0: on us it. for being spoiled and getting things. And they, they spoiled us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also want to say, you know, because talking about the puppy episode you put out, that resonated with me because- you know, and you guys mentioned it, and thanks for your support because I went through a fucking real shit time when I had to call on my own shit and, and I'll return that German Shepherd puppy three days in. And um, that really fucked my head up and I want to talk about it just to say thanks for supporting and understanding. But also I think of what others are thinking of me when I'm going through that. Do I ruin myself um, and how I look at myself compared to how the external world, because we put ourselves out there and the fucking worst thing about putting yourself out there is that you feel like there's like a million eyes watching you and especially being the person who should have answers. And then, you know, and that wasn't really a, a, a dog problem I had. It was a, I've transitioned to a new role in life and, and I've put so much onto my plate and I added just as even a father, more. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The father and, you know, dealing with busy work, but then also the pressures of, we talked about before, like i got this puppy and I want him to be a specific thing. And, and that really fucked me actually for ages. I think I created a new anxiety loop in my head that i never existed before. And, this time to time it will come back. And I think neurologically I did that to myself or it happened to me or whatever it is. But also it's a new challenge in life that I have to acknowledge and deal with. So, yeah,
2: I think, you know, you, you, you open this door, right? Yeah. You're the one that called me the urban hippie. Good. Let's go. <laughs> but I think what happened for you then, like listening to it and now being totally into it is that that was a convergence between your ego and, knowledge and sort of understanding. So you wanted the working dog and you wanted that for a long time and you wanted that flashy, powerful, you know, all those things. And that was ego driven and your ego left enough space for that to continue to exist. And then your actual, like much more cognitive and thoughtful brain kicked in and kicked in and was like, you don't have the capacity for this currently in your life. Like you are not going to achieve that. And you made the right decision at that point to say like, ego, you have to take a back step here Mm. Because you are fucking me up, yeah, and you've already made me. You push me to a one bad step, and mate, I love you for it. Because instead of just writing it out and going, "Well, fuck it," like I have to, I'm worried about how people are going to think of this and blah 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 blah. All the ego related things. You were like, "No, my higher self knows this was a bad decision, mm. and bad news doesn't get better mm. with time." Mm. You fucking eat, like you owned it. Yeah, you yeah. set a course so correction tough. at the time. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people to understand, like for people like you and I the responsibility of being a parent is overwhelming. Some people don't give a fuck. Some, some people are dead shit parents. Some people aren't parents. So like, they don't understand it. But for people like, you know, for, I think the majority of people that do it, but you like, fuck, I, this is the most important thing in the world to me. And Mm. everything else casts us beyond pause for that. Mm. And this is what I, you know, have to focus on despite of the fact that you, I've wanted that, that dog for a long time. And the timing is incorrect. And if Mm. I can only do, if I can be a great parent and an okay dog trainer, that is more important to me than being a great dog trainer and Mm -hmm. an okay
1: parent. Like that's just reality. Plus in that situation you had another, like let's say it was an, whatever ego and knowledge and that kind of definitely that stuff. But you had to make the right decision, not only for your family, but the new life of the dog as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's another life, a a sentient being Mm. who's completely at your mercy. Yeah. And you had to make a decision
3: for the next 10 to 15 years of that dog's life. It's the saying of never let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. Something I reflect on all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I love ambition. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it it has to be in the realm of your capabilities to be able to do it at the time. Panos, when you reached out to Pat and I individually about this, what did we say to you?
0: You said I made the right decision.
3: Right. Because you did make the right decision Mm -hmm. and you called yourself on it. You owned up to it. You got on there and told people what you'd done. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think there was anything to be humiliated or embarrassed about Mm -hmm. or even feel small about because Patch just got on here now and said he applauded you for it. Mm -hmm. I applaud you for it. I think you did absolutely the right thing because there are so many people who just struggle through that and they – Instead of building passion and love and desire about what they're doing, it builds resent. Mm. Like they're constantly sitting there going, fuck, I really wish I didn't do this. Mm. You know, you did it very early when the pup was young. You went and returned it to the breeders. Mm. You know, you ate your humble pie and you said, you know, look, I've made a mistake and I'm I'm giving the dog back to you. Mm. Really, you could have waited until that dog was older. You could have resented it. You could have not done the right thing through its critical period and completely Mm. made a shit show Mm. of it and then had somebody else had to deal with something that you didn't do properly, but yeah. you didn't. Yeah. You said, I've made a mistake. Yeah. And people are allowed to make mistakes. Mm. There's nobody at this table who is perfect. Mm. We're not impervious to making bad judgment calls at times. The best thing that you do is call yourself early on it and say, "All right, I made a mistake. Yeah. A lot more people now are appreciating people's vulnerability on that. Yeah, You know, like when it's people are thing. genuine about, Owning up to a mistake, I'm not a contrived admission, but genuine about it, like saying I made a mistake, you know, and I'm willing to be better and I'm willing to try better. There's a lot of people out there go, I appreciate you for that. Mm. I can see that you're being genuine. I can see that you're going through a real moment and stuff like mm. that. And I, and I knew how humiliated in yourself you were about that puppy, but you did mm. the right thing dude. do. Yeah. That's and all three of you. Thanks heaps. I mean, yeah. we do appreciate Pleasure. it. One
2: of the things that we've talked about before, I'm not going to harp on it, but my passion, what keeps me up at night is working dogs that are professionally turning food into shit. You, you know lie. I mean?
3: You said it's where flies go.
2: <laughs> where flies go. <laughs> <laughs> so like when you acknowledge like, Oh, I don't have the capacity for this right now. It's way better to be like, Hey, here's the dog. And, and it's the same as why I used to love to build powerful dogs to sell because it's like, I have no use for a dog that will bite someone mm-hmm. like for realsies. I have no use for that. I'm mm-hmm. certainly now that I compete for sure. Like I've got a, use for that's why i still have my dog but, mm. but like actual killers the kind of dogs i love to train i have no fucking use for that mm-hmm. so I train them for someone else and mm-hmm. so you got to look within the scope of how well can i let this dog fulfill his
3: purpose yep. all right and i think he did that oh yeah. by the way while i'm here i do want to thank uncle jerry bradshaw for tapping me on the scon and giving me accessibility into being a deputy judge for psa Uncle oh, Jerry, congratulations <laughs> yeah. yes It's an extreme honour. It's not for my ego, but for the greater community of PSA to be able to flourish once again in Australia. Like we've, Mm. all over the world, like we've already talked about how we've been crippled by COVID. Yeah. And, you know, Jerry and Janet Edwards were very kind enough to reach out and say, hey, you know, like we want PSA to flourish. You've done the judges course with us. Pat was also instrumental in getting that happen. So thank you too, mate. You've been a massive, massive driver of PSA in this country and it never would have succeeded without your input and your diligence and hard work that you've thrown into it. Pleasure. I just Mm. want to play it. I need competitors. Well, that's right. (laughs) It's
2: it's no good saying. entirely
3: altruistic. (laughs) (laughs) It's
2: no good saying you're the best when it's just you.
3: So So now I I can do PDCs and PSA ones. So I've been granted that level of of access for competitors. So so
2: stand by for that that because we want to organize a decent event. And what I like in an attempt to extend the olive branch and all that, blah, blah, blah. I want to, when we've set a date for trial, is try and encourage uh, people from other sports to come and have a go at a PDC because a PDC is designed that it's for crossovers yep. so it won't negatively you can turn up with your Mondio your IGP can do it on all you can do it on the sleeve yep. there's no requirement focused heel like there's no reason you can't come and play yep. unless someone's telling you you can't and I'm going to you know awesome. extend to everybody like hey
3: come and play like come and support each EC. other
2: yeah and mm. but it's a trial it's yeah. a fucking trial yeah it's a trial like, you, you
3: actually get your initial uh, yeah. title but,
2: but, but I mean it's an opportunity to play with your dog yep. right like we can do it now that you've got the blessing Okay. And, um, so it's good. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you,
1: Janet. Hey, speaking of uncles, Uncle Jordan's new book's out. Yes, the twelve more rules, isn't it? Oh, Beyond order, it. twelve more rules for life. Is it out or it's pre- out. out? Yeah, I got my oh, Amazon pre-order the other day. I got other my
2: Audible. Mm. All right, oh, well, time I feel to, like uh, time to get into it. Yeah, yep. he's back. Yeah, yeah.
3: Time to start quoting Uncle Jordy B again. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Where are you, Jordan? Where? How come you haven't come on our show? Like <laughs> we're extending. <laughs> been, the- I'm sure you could get him on if he's you been, tried hard enough. It's
2: been dying of a.
1: Bizarre illness for the last 12 months. Yeah, he had he, a, really? he, he yeah, got addicted been... to benzodiazepines and yeah. had a massive withdrawal and like ended up in Russia and then Serbia and- They had to put him in a, uh, Basically yes.
3: lost I his did mind. So, recall seeing, his book. I recall seeing. that They had that to now. detox him in a coma. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I think he's in quite a bit of pain, isn't he? Like he's got a limp. Uh, like so, I mean, limp. There's,
2: he did a whole podcast on it and I'm sure people are sick of us talking about it, but he essentially had- Phantom pain. It, I can't remember the name of it. Akathesia? But it was, yeah, akathesia. You, can,
1: you can't sit, you can't get yeah. still.
2: So he's in agony, yeah. but there was no physical reason why. Mm. And then in order to detox from the drugs that were causing all of this, they had to put him in a coma so that he could handle the detox. Mm. Wow. Murder. Intense. Yeah. So you're mm. essentially unconscious throughout it. Yep. Oof, hard work. Yes. Before I wrap it up, mm-hmm. you didn't tell us your first paying customer.
3: I was about to, but we sort of swung it out into a different story and- <laughs> I actually forgot her it Linear was. Linear progressions long time. are unimportant to us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I forgot about it for a long time, and the reason I had a flashback on that was when I started to get into brewing kombucha myself, mm-hmm. and I was so nervous about not killing my first scoby that Bertie Oshidi gave me. So when I was doing that, like I was absolutely besotted by it. I went out and bought everything. I read every bit of literature you can imagine. Like totally obsessed about it. And, like, I was nurturing it. And while I was sitting there in the jar, like, watching this thing going, is it going to happen or have I just killed it? Did I get the temperature right? Suddenly, I had this massive flashback to my first dog training client. And I don't know why. I don't know why I linked the two to them together. But then when I was reflecting on it, I was thinking, you know, like, I was so nervous when I was in the first consult that I was having that I'm thinking all the time, am I going to fuck this up? Like, am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to look stupid? Like, it was really... It wasn't a dog training lesson. It was me struggling with my ego in their lounge room. You know, Mm. like I was constantly thinking, do I look good? Do I sound good? Am I doing this well? And effectively, if I reflect on it, it was probably a shit show. It was probably just me thinking about me. You know, like, am I good enough to be here? Do I look good enough to these clients? Do I sound right? What do they think of me? You know, like I was asking the whole of the questions about me, 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 me all the time. And I think I gave very little to the dog because I was so concerned about that. Whereas now when I walk into a client, the first thing we start doing is, you know, like even if they want to get off track, I start getting them back on track about the dog. But that's taken a long time to migrate into feeling that comfortable where I walk in, you know, like we have a bit of chat. We do a bit of small talk and I say, all right, let's concentrate on why we're here. Let's talk about you and the issues that you're having with your dog or why you don't have the relationship you need to. And that's the question or the statement that I make with them to start is what is the relationship issue or how do we improve your relationship? Mm. Whereas before it was just how do I look? What am I doing? And they were nice people. They were very patient. And I think I gave it away that that was my first lesson because I could see them just like smiling and nodding along with me and they, they never followed up with me. So that itself was an indicator. So you
2: killed the SCOBY.
3: I ki- no,
0: no, the SCOBY lived. The, SCOBY li- the, the, the metaphorical training, yeah, SCOBY. Yeah,
3: the, the metaphorical SCOBY died that day, but um, my SCOBY lived and thrived and yeah. went on to produce many Scobies that I gifted out to other people as well. You know, on that, so one
2: of the things I was worried about when I first started charging people was – You know, they don't know. So when I trained lots and lots and lots and lots of dogs, but I had told people like, I'm just some Jono that's learning to train dogs and it wasn't taking money for it. Right. Yep. I got it in my, now I could give two shits. I would be like, it's my first day guys. But at the time it was really important to me that I had seemed all those things, right? Seemed Mm. professional and didn't, they couldn't figure that out. Like it was important to me that they didn't realize this, you're my first or my 10th client. And it's why I think I have such an obsession with the like underlying principles of behavioral science, because yeah. with those tools, I can solve any problem. Mm. Before I realized that, I was just hoping I had seen this case or similar before mm. when I had someone to help me or when I wasn't getting paid and there was no pressure on whether I figure it out or not. So for the first bunch of clients, every time I was knocking on the door, I was like, please fucking God let this be a problem I have seen before no curveballs yeah Yeah. and we'll totally identify quickly but then it was when I I'm quite sure it was when I got stumped one day I was like fuck I don't know what to do here and then it was like okay all behavior is reinforcement driven like what is the dog getting out of this right okay like and I could solve the puzzle even though I had no fucking clue what was going on there and I could say well I don't know why he's getting reinforced by this but he clearly is so we need to block this we need to make sure that he can't be reinforced if we can't do that then we need to give an aversion into it. Like you had a template that I could then plug any case into. And I think that's why I've imprinted on myself such that obsession with underlying principles of dog yep. training and behavioral science, because with that, I can solve any problem. Mm. Even though it might be some trial and error, I'll never be like, oh, I don't know what to do. I say, oh, here's some stuff we can try. See yeah. how this goes. You right? can't
3: solve everything in one lesson all the time. I mean, that's no. just, yeah. you know, sometimes the console is basically just Let's assess. Yeah. You know, it's it's just purely. It's just an, that's exactly right. It's an assessment tool. And that's what, if the cops turn up and there's a body on the ground, there's a lot of questions Mm. to be asked. They don't immediately point to someone in the crowd and say, You, the man with the smoking gun, it was you. You don't have the smoking gun when you're going into consults. You have to ask questions sometimes. And, you know, like sometimes when I'm doing the pre-interview with people on the phone, not that I do much these days with that because I just don't have time for it, but when I do do consults, I say to people, this is going to be a lot of analytics, you know, like we're probably going to ask a lot of questions and go through it. And I might even give them a bit of a predeterminer before I go out there to say, can you give me some heads up so I can do some light reading when I come out there? And then together we'll go through the assessment criteria of what the dog's doing And because sometimes they'll have – thoughts on it but it's not accurate so they'll think about it and they think about it in terms where their limitations and understanding are about what's going on at the time but when you actually go into the console and you look at it it's on a different tangent and th- that's what you have to predetermine is are they accurate or is there a lot of inaccuracies there and they're just they're paraphrasing off something they've read off google or another trainer has told them because sometimes you'll go in there and say yeah i'm glad that you're thinking about it but we need to think about this now and you get unrail them from where they're going and you put them back on the right track. I just want to tie in two things before we wrap it up. Yep. The first thing is we've all shared our stories about being like, you know,
1: our first jobbies as dog trainers. Mm. And to tie it back to Uncle Jordan, there's a chapter in his new book, it's about being the fool, right? To get good at anything, you have to risk being a fool. And it's like a literature thing. It's like the, the picture of the fool, the jester. You don't get anywhere without being willing to take that first step and, and risk looking like a fool and being a fool. But yep. that's where knowledge grows from and you know today we're talking about critical periods as well i'm really grateful that i think in my let's say critical period of learning dog training like i had the ability to learn from you guys like i did your course as well the one that you sold online and i fucking listened to that thing about 100 times back to back Mm -hmm. and just like you were saying learning that template of being there, like what's a reinforcer what's a punishment by definition you know behavioral chains all that stuff and like just listen to it over and over and over and thought about it so much and it helped me a lot so thank you and and the and the canine paradigm content as well Cool. Geez, you're good at uh, plugging all my stuff, man. Right?
2: <laughs> where, where could people get
3: that? that,
1: <laughs>
2: that <course?
3: laughs> you can put your pants back on now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just collect my uh, my fee from Pat for today. Oh, yeah.
0: God.
1: Yeah.
2: I have thoughts on the role of the jester, probably not for this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but it's I don't know if Jordan Peason goes into it, but the role of the jester and how important that is in the court.
3: Mm. It's the uh, only person that can make yes. fun of the kid yeah, yeah, yeah. and all yep. that yep. kind of stuff. And not lose He's his head. Yep. Yep. Mm. I think that comes from the 48 Laws of Power. Is it? I think so. He yeah. spoke, I've heard him speak about that as well. To. Do you know, yeah. Boyd he- used to, when he used to mentor me as a young kid, when I was first getting into protection dog training, he always said to me, mate, the biggest clowns in this game make the best trainers. Mm. What he meant by that is that people who let go and allow themselves to move freely with it without being concerned about what other people are thinking and are working, you know, with the dog and for the dog and reacting to the dog, when people look at them and go, oh, look at this clown, but that's, that's the magic, you know, especially in some of those things is you're not concerned about what the audience is saying. You're concerned about what you need to be for the dog at that
0: time.
3: And that really like that resonated for me through the ages, you know, and I still think about that because I'm whatever the dog needs me to be at that time. And whatever the client needs me to be with the dog at that time, I always shift gears and I'll wear different masks depending on any situation I go into, because you have to, Mm -hmm. In order for that victory to take place or that learning process to move forward, you have to be what you need to be in that field at the time. Yeah. hmm hundred. And deep.
2: Mm.
3: Anyway, I think we should wrap it up there. All right.
2: That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Before I do all this, I meant to say, hey, uh, well, you guys are going to put your own outro probably.
1: Yeah. This will be but also released on our podcast so as well. But I'll, you all, I'll, I'll you your hear your yeah.
0: podcast. Panos. Check us out on Life with Your Dog. Um, Life with Your Dog. Life with Your Dog. Yeah. On all the podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Um, you can follow us on Instagram as well as Facebook, Life with Your Dog podcast. And yeah. And for private training, Sydney only. Yeah. yeah so Nutris Pooch is where you find me
1: and Kizuna K9. You don't have to spell that yeah. K I Z U N Finelli A and then spell canine.com. Cool.
2: All right, that's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always if you like what we're here, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to get into that cool Patreon content that Luke was telling you about. Yeah,
3: Luke just sold it all for us. Thanks, Luke.
2: Uh, you could do that. It's three bucks a month. You could pay 10. You could pay 20. You could buy me a Yeti dog bed if you want. I think I've resolved that I'm going to buy the Yeti dog bed. I will say seven. that last
1: month, the Q&A schedule like threw me out because you did it like the last day of yeah. January and then you did it in the middle of February and I missed it. Yeah. I missed the, I saw the notification. I was like, oh sweet. It's in like three weeks, three weeks or whatever. And I fucking missed the thing. Yeah. I was
2: all over the place because I had nowhere to do it. Yeah.
1: You are Innovating. Yeah, yep. so how dare you? Sir. I didn't
2: want to just do a shitty version off of my phone without sort of being able to set it all yeah, up correctly. Yeah. So I, I, I just managed to sneak it in. One thing that's really interesting is in the Patreon, there's a twenty dollars tier, and there isn't really much extra in that. And so a lot of the people that pay that, when you look at the names list, overwhelmingly they don't even download the three dollar content. Like it's people who are supporting us, and so we want to find something you to give to them as yep. a thank you. I
1: think I was in that for a couple of months. You had like some extra videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: There's like a, every now and again I put stuff in there, but I, you can see the analytics of who watches that, and most of the twenty dollar people are just like they don't even watch the three dollar stuff. Yeah, but but like they're there to
3: support us, and yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. So well,
1: I yeah. want to find a way to give better appreciation. But they probably it. listen to every. I mean, you go, you guys don't charge for these episodes, but in a way they're supporting. Yeah, you for totally. These That's episodes. yeah. All There's,
3: this yeah. gear, all this stuff is paid. It's for. all yeah. it's all Patreon yeah. and some wonderful. Just no Yeti dog beds yet. That's your next. Sponsor. But but we have had people that have contacted me just out of the blue and said, look, you know, I don't want to join Patreon because I'm not going to watch the videos. I'm just going to be honest, but I'd love to um, give me your bank details and I'd love to donate some money to your cause. Yeah. And like they just say, I just feel guilty because you and Pat have thrown so much into the community and we just feel overwhelmingly like lucky to have it. And I just said, really? That's so generous of you. Like, Yeah.
2: But if you don't want to, that's fine too. Or you can't, that's fine too. Yeah. Whatever. No worries. No pressure. Yeah. If you want to support the show. If you want to support the show. And if you want to
1: learn more. Like I fucking learn heaps on those videos. Tell us. Love on. them. Keep
3: going. Keep, keep going. going. <laughs> keep
1: going. <laughs> Do you want me to record like a little promo for you guys?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be perfect.
2: Okay. tears uh, I've lost where I'm at. Oh, teespring. 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 Yeah. If you want to rep us, get some cool merch. You could a have a one? wall tapestry. Yeah. yeah teespring. <laughs> 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 yeah. You could get t-shirts, hoodies, all kinds of stuff. Bum bags, wall tapestries, yep. yep. Bum, bum bags. bags the boys have got. Lot. We've
1: just been gifted some lovely fanny packs, as the Americans yep. like to call them. Yeah, well, we yep. call them bum bags. because yeah. they're not weirdos. The other thing, if you want to get in contact with us, if it's
2: dog training advice, if you want to know the dimensions of the box, which still people want to know from me,
1: <laughs> there's uh, a shirt for that now. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. Do that with the Facebook discussion group, right? We are the Canine Paradigm discussion group. That's yep. the best way to get in there, and you can group source information. There's usually some pretty cool uh, conversations happening there. Just remember to be kind and polite. And if you got something specific to tell me and Glenn personally, you can send us an email. We are info at the If you have a media pack about something outrageous you've released that we want us to laugh at, send it over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Goodbye. Fantastic!
0: Thank you for listening to another show of life with your dog. Please like rate and share. If you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit noocherspooches.com.au. Thank you and stay tuned for next time.